Welcome to the Arms Race, the podcast where we're trying to determine which action star has the highest body count in movie history currently by watching every Sylvester Stallone movie. I'm Mike Olson. And I'm Kevin Keene, and today we're discussing Cliffhanger, released by TriStar Pictures on May 28th, 1993, starring Sylvester Stallone, John Lithgow, Michael Rooker, Janine Turner, Rex Lynn, Caroline Goodall, and Leon, with a special appearance by Paul Winfield and Ralph Waite as Frank. Screen, <laughs> screen story by Michael France. The screenplay by Michael France and Sylvester Stallone, based on a premise by John Long, directed by Rennie Harlan. So, this was my pick. Yes, it was. I'm proud of this pick. Well, good for you. <laughs> I'm glad you're proud. I'm fairly lukewarm about this pick, but really? I enjoyed it up to a point. Oh, that's disappointing. <laughs> I think the, this this kind of 90s action movie, I... I think the the entirety of my appreciation for it is just nostalgia. I don't think this kind of an action movie holds up all that well, to be honest with you. But um, oh, I mean, I enjoyed it up to a point. Man, well, I I don't holds up well. Um, maybe I enjoyed it on the same level, and it's nostalgia. I had a lot of fun. I really did. Maybe there's something wrong with me, but I I miss this kind of movie, and I'm not I'm not saying that it's a great movie, but I don't know. I guess I I kind of miss this kind of action movie. I feel like movies from this period, it's in this transition period where they're transitioning away from the Rambo Commando style action movie where it's just a guy with a gun mowing down, you know, 100, 100 uh, bad guys. And it's moving towards like more of a, I don't know, John Wick is the only example I can think of, but like, you know, the action movie Die where. Hard. Well, this is this is obviously like a influenced by Die Hard to the extreme. I, I want to talk about that later, but um, no. But I, th- I feel like the Die Hard style of movie was this in between point where it's like the characters are relatively grounded psychologically. They feel like real people, or at least that's the hope. But it's kind of shallow. It's like let's it's just lip service to like oh these people have personal problems, but then at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter at all. <laughs> it really does all just get swept this, under the rug. Yeah, this movie. The first fifteen minutes are totally irrelevant. <laughs> yeah, they very much are. No, yeah, I'm glad you agree. That's that's kind of what I mean. It's like <laughs> this this period, and that, you know, to, it's also sort of true in Die Hard. It's it's less, you know, it, it comes into play more in Die Hard than in this movie. But it's like you know, at the end of the day, John McClane and Holly Gennaro and their strained marriage. <laughs> It doesn't really matter because they didn't need to be strained. You know, at the end of the day, he has to save her, and whether or not what their what their marriage is like, it doesn't really matter. So at least, but at least that movie kind of it kind of uh, matters here. Yeah, so that's kind of what I mean. Is I feel like it's movies like big blockbusters like this haven't figured out how to integrate the kind of personal struggles of these characters with the action movie bad guys are trying to, you know, steal $150 million sort of plot. Well, it was uh, only 100 but I hear you. Was it only 100 Okay. 100. Well, thousand- I thought it was $50 million per case, but maybe I was incorrect. No, I think, it, I think it's 100 Oh, you're right, because doesn't he say the youth burned $33 million? Yeah, okay, you're right. Yeah. I was just saying off the top of my head. No, but I enjoyed it. It's just this... It's It feels like a transitionary period, you know, in movies and in action movies. Um... So, you know, but it, it it is what it is. At least it's trying to have characters that have a dimension other than I am the hero and I will kill the bad guys, so, which is what most 80s movies. But I, I guess I kind of 
You have more of a nostalgia for those 80s? Is well, that what you're saying? I kind of respect how like just committed they are to just being like, this is the good guy, and he's going to kill the bad guys. It's like, because I watch this movie, it's like, why even bother? Like you said, it's why even bother set up this, this like, you know, tragedy and the strained, uh, you know, relationship, relationship with his girlfriend. And, oh, you know, there's hints that maybe he's afraid of heights, which does not. I, I don't know if that's even a thing or not. It feels like it should be, but it's not. It feels like this movie meant to set that up as like a thing that uh, Stallone's character has to struggle with. Really? It, you, you it, fe- it feels like there's a version of this movie that had that as a subplot and then they cut it all out. Oh. That's how it feels to me. I, I didn't pick up on that. I certainly agreed and picked up on the first 15 minutes of the movie when I went back through and did my notes. I'm like, wow. Right. I'm taking notes, but... <laughs> well, the funny thing is that... This op- is the Zeus of the movie. It's this entire 15 minutes. Oh, that's interesting because uh, uh, I, I may disagree oh, with you there. Oh. <laughs> well, we'll get to it. It's interesting because I think the, that opening scene is the most famous scene from this movie. It was parodied in multiple movies. It was, I, I remember well, it Ace Ventura. famous. That doesn't mean that it's relevant to the plot. No. No, definitely not. It's it was kind of galling. This is what I mean. Like I was enjoying it, but there were moments where it's like any other movie would have reminded you of what happened at the beginning here. Because there's there's a point like two thirds of the way through where uh, Gabe is his name, Stallone's character. Yeah, and I, it Jess is that his, his Jesse. girlfriend? Jesse. Yeah. And you know it's in the middle of an action scene, and suddenly they're they're hanging, and he's he's holding on, and she he's grabbed her, and she's gonna fall, and then he just pulls her up. It's like this movie has an opportunity to remind us. Like he can't he like. You know, some some way to, I mean, I guess maybe the movie thinks we don't need to be reminded, but it, it happens so fast. Like, I got you. Here we go. Whoop. And she's up. And it's like, boy, you could have really milked this. He could have been like, oh, no, it's happening again. He could have had you know, cuts of Stallone close up, fear in his eyes. Oh, no, I'm going to drop another girl. None of that happens. It's just like, I got you. No problem. Just, you know, brush your shoulders off. It was really not <laughs> a thing at all. It's like any other movie would have built that into a moment to, like, remind you of the beginning. So that's the weird thing, is as as famous as that opening sequence is where uh, Stallone uh, drops someone. Yeah, unneeded. Once once Stallone's on the mountain, you it's never brought up again. No, it's not. And like the the tension with Michael Rooker's character. Yeah, I definitely I I definitely want to get into and and discuss that um, because well not because. What I'll add is my my thought of you could cut out that opening and it doesn't change anything. The the only thing that the 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 tension that's there a little bit would be a little strange if you didn't have that opening scene. But other than that, there's there's nothing to the the first fifteen minutes. But at the end of the day, that tension doesn't really lead to any plot it, relevant. It's not like you know they're, they're on the same team. At the end of the day, they're it just like, well, I, I don't like you, but you're not as bad as John Lithgow. You know, and his his like it doesn't. Know, we're, so we're still going to be on the same side. I guess I'll bring it up now, uh, rather than wait. You know, in my notes, my take from it, and it, I, I, I'm not blaming Rooker, but the performance. I took it that at least some of the early scenes, it felt like that that Rooker's character. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to look it up because it's gay. It's Hal Hal, and it's Walker and oh yeah, they both have similar names. Yes, last names. Um, Walker so, and Climber. <laughs> <laughs> so, but so, let's just uh, say Rooker. It may as well have been Rooker. So, some of the early scenes with Hal, his performance, it then the tension, it actually made it seem like he was going to be an adversary. And if he wasn't, I mean, it's fairly clear it's not. He's not an inside, you know, it's not an inside job, right? Because the the mountain isn't being robbed, right? But the early scenes made it seem like Rooker actually was going to be working with Lithgow 
and the villains right. in, in the very the way it was presented in those early scenes. But it gets abandoned pretty quickly, and then it does like changes on a dime. Where whatever tension there was, it's completely gone. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, why didn't the movie use the? Why, they should have had Lithgow's character being like, "Oh, there's some tension here, and I'm going to exploit this." And what do you? Yeah, what do you care way. if we get? Or I'll cut you in on it, or whatever. Let let him try to turn them against each other. So yeah. that, no, and, uh, and the movie ch- does not choose to do that at all. No. <laughs> but those early scenes, it, it Rooker's performance and the writing makes it actually seem like it's setting it up for exactly that, and it does not do that in any way, shape, or form. My memory was that Michael Rooker was one of the... One What's of funny the... is that? Okay, I'm not the only one. Yeah. Thank you. I And maybe it's just because it's Michael Rooker, right? And so I kind of... I just, in my mind, I expected that. Yeah. I thought he was one of Lithgow's henchmen. That's That was my memory. I don't think, you know... Thinking back, I don't know if I've ever seen this movie in its entirety. I have a vague memory of wa- having this movie on in the background in like a VHS at a friend's house. And we were—I really, I don't know if we were playing a board game or playing poker or something—but it was just like on, you know. Nobody was really watching it. Yeah. And I think that's how I saw the movie. I think that might be the only time I ever saw it. Got it. Because I have a very distinct memory of seeing of watching Cliffhanger in that way, but I don't know if I've ever seen it aside from that. So yeah, I don't know if I ever really paid attention to this movie before, even though I know I'd seen uh, most of it. I certainly didn't remember it, probably from the mid-90s when I saw it, because going into it, I'm like, oh, it's Michael Rooker. You know, Lithgow, I'm like, oh, he's probably one of the bad, he's probably really good, because Michael Rooker generally is right in that role. So I was kind of looking forward to it, and then it's setting it up early on, and then, oh no, I guess he's not, he's his buddy, whoops. (laughs) Everyone's doing their best, including Michael Rooker, with these mushy characters, these ill-defined characters. That's what I mean. Like, you know, it's... It is what it is. It's 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 not focused on the characters. It's focused on no. It's the mountain, the thriller aspect yeah. of it, and like that stuff is is fun. So you know, it, despite the fact this movie has its flaws, it's a movie that's built around the title. They came up with the title first, <laughs> Cliffhanger. That's a that's a clever name. It'll it'll be an action movie. That, it's the cl- bus that doesn't slow down. <laughs> what the annoying thing to me is, <laughs> if you're gonna have this play on words, okay, that's funny. A movie called Cliffhanger where they're literally on a mountain hanging off a cliff. So that's funny. That's like that's a clever idea. Some some. Movie executive deserves a raise for that, but then end the movie on a cliffhanger. Have it be like, what's going to happen next? Tune in next time. And <laughs> you know, you're not even taking advantage of your your clever title. I agree with that logic. <laughs> it didn't even have to be a big thing of just like, oh yeah, oh I, this some bad guy, one of the bad guys is still alive. I don't know something. Uh, sorry, I should have done this before we started recording. Had, had, were you able to make a uh, modification to our soundboard? Yes, why? Okay, I'm just... Because I, I sent you the note Oh yeah. after I the last recording. I just want to make sure. I'm not bringing it up for this section. I just want, I wanted to make sure it was there. That's I wasn't it. sure if you were prompting me for it. No, no, not at all. Uh, so is that is that what you want to cover in the intro? Are you ready to get it, get into the episode? Yeah, let's get into it. All right. What day is it? What year? All right. It is May 28th, 1993, uh, when Cliffhanger came out. Uh, on a $70 million budget, according to Box Office Mojo, the total box office for Cliffhanger was $255 million, with just over $84 million domestic, or about 33%, and just under $171 million of foreign box office. It's funny how, you know, I, I did happen to see that on Wikipedia, and I, I think I saw the, the Rotten Tomatoes scores, so we'll get that in a second, but it's interesting how... I saw that and I went like, wow, this this movie was a big success. I remember it being, you know, successful, but it was like, that seems like a really big success and pretty well received. And no one talks about it anymore. It's no. not like one of these movies that's like, oh, one of these classic films. No, it's not. People like have forgotten about it. Yeah, completely. So 
Uh, speaking of Rotten Tomatoes, you've seen it, so maybe you remember, maybe you don't. Like 80-something percent? So it's not that high. The oh. critics was 69%, which for an, I think actually for an action movie, that, that actually probably is a pretty pretty fresh rating. Okay. Uh, the audience score, do you think it's higher or lower than the critics? Oh, it's got to be higher. Uh, it's not. It is lower, actually. I was wow. surprised by this. That yes. is surprising. 52% is the audience score on Cliffhanger. So I, I think I must be in the minority. I, I enjoyed Cliffhanger. Apparently, most of the rest of the audience did not. Yeah, no, like, I, I would put it in the low 70s. I, I think the critics are pretty close to how I feel about it. It's All like, right. it's good. It's not, like, yeah, incredible. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's good. All right, so... Is Cliffhanger okay with everybody as a title of a movie? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's good. <laughs> All right. So, not surprisingly, Cliffhanger opened number one in the box office. Uh, it's opening weekend with about $20.5 is what it brought in in the opening week or weekend. Uh, it's competition. It actually had a couple. Uh, number two... Made in America. Do you remember this? Ted Danson and Whoopi Goldberg. Yes, I only remember it because of the controversy uh, that I don't remember if it was when they were promoting the movie or what the circumstance was. Do you remember that? I don't remember that. I, I remembered the movie. I actually don't remember the controversy. Oh, well, uh, well, Ted Danson and Whoopi, Whoopi Goldberg were dating for a, a period, which is... Oh, an, I remember that. Yeah, and, and it was during this period where... I don't remember the circumstances, and it's it's amazing that Ted Danson has kind of. At some point, people, you know, young people will discover this and try to cancel the da- Ted Danson. <laughs> well, because maybe was, for Ted Danson's sake, we shouldn't put it back out there. Very briefly, I mean, he was dating Whoopi, and I think he thought this was funny, and it was like it was a surprise. It was some kind of event, and he came out in blackface, and I don't remember what what he was thinking or what the joke was supposed to be. But got it. It was that that's you know. I I don't I, I don't think that. his intentions were anything no, other than they just, weren't ill. Yes. Yeah, he was just it's, it was just a stupid thing to do. But um, yeah, that's all. That's the only thing I remember about that movie it was that happened around then. Where it's like they're in a movie together and they're now they're dating and then he did that and it's like okay, got I, it. I, I don't, I, what the I don't remember that. So thank you for educating me. Well, Made in America opened at number two at eleven about point eight million. Uh, number three, Dave. Do you remember Dave? Yes, I love Dave. I haven't right. seen it in forever, but Arnold Schwarzenegger's in that movie. It was you one of those right. things where it's like, I think at some point I said, should we do that as a bonus episode? You did. Maybe, I maybe we that. were like, nah, it's not bother. Uh, yeah, he's, he, that was his period of, uh, he was the head of fitness or whatever. Yes. National physical fitness, Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> uh, so I remember that movie being really good. I, I do as well. It was in its third week and uh, just under $9 million for number three. I remember him calling in his, his buddy, his CPA buddy, Charles Grodin, to balance the budget. He's like, can't we just balance the budget? And he just, he just calls in Charles Grodin, who's just like a local CPA, yes. and they balance the budget together, the kinda, national federal budget. I kind of like that, that concept, but instead his local accountant buddy is actually Ben Affleck's character in The Accountant. Is who he, okay. he calls him. I still haven't seen that, but yeah, really? I know I know the vague. Premise oh, you, you should see it. Yeah, I know. That's I, a good action movie. Yeah. All right, so number four in its first week. So Dave in its third week beat this movie, Super Mario Brothers, at eight point five million in its opening week, opening at number four. So not uh, not a great opening for Super Mario. Sure, Brothers. I remember I I saw those big dumb Goomba costumes in person at the Chicago Consumer Electronics Show the year before. Wow. Like, coming soon, Super Mario movie. And I remember looking at that. It's like, these are the Goombas. I'm like, what? What is this? This looks terrible. Yeah, even as a 13-year-old kid, 12-year-old kid, it was just like, I don't want to see this. All right. Well, I actually do kind of have a soft spot for the Mario movie, though. I don't remember it at all. It's terrible, but it's it's the, it's the kind of terrible that I like. Is it's just Bob, bonkers. Is it Bob Hoskins? Bob Hoskins is Mario. Oh John Leguizamo is Luigi. And... Yes. um um. 
uh, uh, God, what's his name? Speed, the speed villain. Dennis Hopper. Dennis Hopper is King Cooper. He is that. That I do remember. Uh, yeah, it's 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 terrible, but it's so bananas that, that I kind fun. of enjoy it. Like, right. Yeah. Well, a bonus episode of ours is number five in the box office. Hot Shots Part Two is oh. number five. Okay. Uh, and really a timely uh, spoof of Rambo in 1993. <laughs> Good job, Hot Shots Part Two. I didn't realize it came out that late. I thought it was like 91. Uh, well, <laughs> that's the way it always is. Spaceballs came out in like 89. It's like <laughs> Star Wars is dead. Uh, so Hot Shots was... <laughs> Remember a period when Star Wars was dead? <laughs> that will never happen again. It was like a brief six-year window where it's like, oh, Star Wars is gone. 1988, it's like, no one cares. Who cares about Star Wars anymore? People probably don't even believe that there was ever a that, 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 That's probably the best statement of all, is that people don't believe that such a period exists. Disney will never let that happen again. No. All right, number six, Sliver with uh, Sharon, Stone Sharon Stone and Billy Baldwin, I think, is in there. That sounds right. I think I referenced that on some previous episode, but I called it Slither, which is a totally different movie. Yeah, Sliver was a big... Uh, that was a staple on late-night HBO. I was going to say Cinemax, but Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, sure. It was that style of movie, for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. Yeah. It came around HBO right at the time when I was very interested in a movie like that. <laughs> I've seen Sliver probably ten times. But you hadn't seen The Specialist. Go figure. All right. <laughs> there wasn't an HBO... Uh, uh, you know. Understood. Understood. Seven. So that was just uh, over $7.3 million. Uh, in its first week at number seven, a little bit smaller release, actually based on per screen average, did very, very well. Um, almost the best of the week, almost as good as Cliffhanger. Menace to Society with uh, $3.8 million, but only on 464 theaters, so the average actually was great for Menace to Society. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that. It's uh, it's definitely a movie I remember and uh, and liked from the 90s. I've, I've never seen that one. I've seen Boy, I, I Boys love, in the Hood. I love Boys in the Hood. I love New Jack City. I've never seen Menace to Society. Yeah, Menace to Society is good. I really like the soundtrack to Menace to Society, too, okay. back, back in the 90s. Uh, number eight, talk about a movie that was certainly spoofed a lot. Indecent Proposal is the number eight movie in America at three point three million. Sure, uh, another movie that has faded in cultural relevance. That was like every Johnny Carson uh, uh, monologue was about Indecent Proposal. It was such a, it was it was all the all the discussion. Yeah, you know what, um, man, I, I forget, but uh, one of my favorites is it Woody Harrelson. Yeah. That's another. You know, Woody has had a great career. Has been underrated. That's probably not his best movie or best performance. Um, but I certainly remember the cultural impact of Indecent Proposal back in the 90s. I mean, he's going head-to-head with Robert Redford. That's a tough thing. That's a, that's a tough task, tough especially at a young age like that. Yeah, he was like just was coming like, off of Cheers. That was like his third movie, probably. Yeah, Coming off of, I mean, White Man Can Jump and then Natural Born Killers and then that. Yeah. That had to be, he couldn't have been done, you know, done much other than that. All right, number nine is Dragon, the Bruce Lee story with $2.5 million. Uh, and rounding out the top ten, this one I didn't recognize. Posse with two point two million, uh, re- relatively small, small release. Yeah, never heard of that. Sounds like a western. That was this was a low point. For, actually, it wasn't a low point for western. This is post Unforgiven. I was gonna say you had Unforgiven at least, and actually, yeah, this mid nineties you had like the Quick and the Dead. Yeah, actually, this was when things were starting. It was it was a revival because then uh, ninety four was when um, um, Wyatt Earp and Tombstone both came out. I think. Uh, feels like 93, but whatever. It was right around okay. that time for sure. So that was, I'll bet that was riding the wave. Unforgiven feels like 92, yeah, and so 92. I could see that kind of jump-starting 93. You get Tombstone. So I take it back. Is this movie, it must have been pretty bad if it couldn't ride that wave. <laughs> okay, fair it got enough. buried. All right, on the TV front, 93, 94, number one, as it seems to be so many times in the 90s, 60 Minutes. 
Um, uh, yeah, it's interesting how often 60 Minutes, 60 minutes is, is really at the top a lot. Yeah, during the period when there was no news, as I've come to in the past. <laughs> the end of history was was, uh, <laughs> was the 90s. And somehow, it was all probably like, tab- that's when 60 Minutes probably got the most tabloid because they didn't have actually hard news to cover. It was just like, you know, sex ring and whatever. You know, I'll, I'll bet that's why. <laughs> what is this, rock bottom? I know. I think for a while, sixty minutes did kind of get kind of it little got a little more copy. lurid than yeah. Man, what were all those shits? You remember all that? it was hard copy? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, there were there were a couple of others like that. That rock bottom from the Simpsons yeah. was based. Speaking on. of natural born killers, well, I forget the name of the show oh, that uh, Robert, Robert Downey, Downey Jr. hosted. Six, six, six. <laughs> yes. Oh, that was it. Was basically it was that it kind was, of show. Yeah, totally. Oh, that's perfect. Good transition there. All right, number two, Home Improvement. Uh, this was getting towards the peak of the Seinfeld uh, at number three. Home Improvement, uh, Tim the Toolman Taylor just reappeared on uh, Tim Allen's new show. Did you see that? Tim the Toolman Taylor did? He did some gimmick. Whatever whatever Tim Allen's new show is, he's got a new, relatively new. Yeah. It's probably been on for like eight years. I don't know, but I, I'd never heard of it. And I saw an ad on YouTube just like, Tim the Toolman. Like, I was just getting fed ads on YouTube as if I would be interested in this. Like The algorithm thought I would want to see... Tim the Toolman Taylor returns, and it was like Tim Allen's character from this new sitcom has some, you know, he meets Tim the Toolman Taylor. <laughs> they do like a they do like a Patty Duke uh, doubles, <laughs> you know, the mirror thing. Nice. I don't, I don't, I didn't see the show, but um, just, right. it's timely because apparently that character is back or something. He's back. I'll, I'll forever remember. I mean, look, I watched that show as a kid for sure, but yeah. The Simpsons is probably my favorite. Oh my god, I killed Wilson. Oh. Yes, it's back to jail for me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, it was a fine show for what it was. It was, yeah, it's nothing, there's nothing worth remembering, but. No, know, whatever, it was fine. It was fine. It was. Uh, number four, Roseanne. Uh, number five, Grace Under Fire. Number six, My Much Maligned Coach, which I was not a fan of, but certainly hung around for a long period of time. I thought you were a fan. I thought no, that's I'm a lot. not a fan of Coach. My mom was a fan oh, of Coach. Oh, that was what I'm it was. Okay. Coach. Uh, number seven, Dr. Fraser Crane. Uh, Fraser is number seven. Uh, number eight, Monday Night Football. Number nine, Murphy Brown. And number 10, the CBS Sunday movie. Okay. I know in the 80s we got a lot of those, those Sunday movies. The, the 90s, apparently, they, they still could hang around. This must have been the very tail end of when that was. Oh, yeah. I, mean, I, I don't remember ever watching the CBS Sunday Night movie. It's like, we have HBO. I'm <laughs> Yes, I'm watching Sliver. <laughs> exactly, yes. That's much more appealing. I'm not watching the PG CBS Sunday night. Well, movie. not only do we have HBO, we have all of the uh, cassettes that my, my the VHS cassettes my dad bootlegged off of HBO. <laughs> We've got our illegal catalog. Yes. yes. Literally a library. It was like a, hundred, you know, a whole wall full of cassettes. Those are the days. <laughs> you had your own blockbuster. Yeah. It's only now occurring to me that's why maybe I still hang on to physical media and I have my own wall over there just like... That's what I grew up with. Literally, an entire wall of our family room of VHS cassettes I, with hand-printed, not hand-printed, but yeah, like printed off the computer, yeah. oh, labels. Yeah. So I didn't have that, but I grew up with bootleg VHS of three movies that I, I've i said on this. Yeah, yeah. Form, and I still hold physical media. I didn't have a wall, but no, I want to own and have it that I have it. I don't have to trust the internet. If the internet goes down, I don't care. I can go and access my library. I just need electricity. That's exactly right. All right. And the, I know you're very interested in the S&P 500. It is at 445.25 in May of 1993. Hooray. <laughs> I, thought you had a bu- I thought you had a new button. I thought you were going for the soundboard. I thought, I thought about hitting we have no case, but I, I want to <laughs> save it. 
Thank you. I don't want to waste our first use on the S&P 500. No. All right. Uh, I had to go. I, I didn't find a lot of interesting history, so I went both to April and June. I didn't find much in May. Uh, April 19th. Uh, a fi- Sorry, I just realized which button I should be hitting when you, hit, when you talk about the S&P 500. It should be this. Twix. It's, <laughs> it's sort of my thing. And my one vice. It's your one. It's your one vice is the S and P five hundred. You should. I didn't even remember you still had that. That's been on the soundboard forever. It hasn't been touched except for the one episode, the Kindergarten Cop two episode. I put it on there just for that episode, and then it's been it's been there ever since. <laughs> and I, I see it there. It's it's right in the middle of the soundboard, prom, is, in the prominent it's, spot. It's got like the best real estate on the board. <laughs> it just happened to land there. I'll say I think a new tradition has been born that I think the Twix yeah. is going to get a lot of usage here towards the end of yeah, Stallone. Yeah, I think that's probably the thing I should have been doing all this time. All right. Uh, April 19th, a 51-day standoff at the Branch Davidian compound near Waco, Texas, ends oh. with a fire that kills 76 people, including David Koresh. Yeah. Uh, April 28th, an executive order requires that the United States Air Force to allow women to fly warplanes. Oh, okay. Uh, May 1st. An outbreak of a respiratory illness later identified as hantavirus pulmonary syndrome begins in southwest United States. 32 patients die by the end of the year. Wow, gee, I didn't realize that many people died of the hantavirus. I was just thinking about the Simpsons joke and thinking, like, how long did they wait to do that joke? I didn't know people actually died. I didn't either. And I, the main reason I pulled it is obviously, you know, viruses in, well, yes. you know, is, is at front of mind and have been for a long period of time, so I thought it was uh, certainly relevant. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I, I remember the hantavirus, and I, but I don't remember it being that big of a news story that I, didn't, I wouldn't have yeah. assumed people died. Yeah. Uh, all right. June 5th, uh, Minnesota versus Dickerson. The United States Supreme Court rules that the seizure of evidence during a pat-down search is constitutional. Uh, on June 20th, this may only be relevant to people in and around our area, John Paxson's three-point shot in Game 6 of the NBA Finals helps the Chicago Bills secure a 99-98 victory over the Phoenix Suns and their third consecutive championship. Yeah, that was a good series. It was, and despite Charles Barkley's best efforts of bringing in the best hecklers that he could find from <laughs> Washington, D.C. area, it was the, they were no match for the Bulls. Did he bring that guy in? I didn't yes, know that. Yes, you didn't know that? I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, so... I, I know the guy you mean, the, well, the guy in Washington. Uh, yeah. yeah, I believe his name was Randy Fick. He he was like a he, I, I feel dirty saying he was a hero of mine, but he was. I in my younger days, <laughs> it I took makes pri- total sense. I took pride in my younger days. I was a good heckler. I like to think that I was clean, meaning there was never any cursing. I did my research about players. It wasn't just hey you number. 35, you suck. Yeah, to be clear, a sports heckler only, right? Yes, sports heckler only. I, I, I definitely have never seen you. I've been, you know, to like a... Uh, oh, a, comedy yeah, show? Yeah, comedy no, show. No, whatever. No, I've never no, seen no. you heckle like... No, 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 no. A performer like a... No, like, yeah. no, it's uh, only sports. Sports, yeah, okay. Uh, and, I just want to make it clear for the listeners. And it, and it, I, I, for the most part at the college level, I'll admit there were a few DePaul players in my day that I, I probably... I shouldn't be... I, I'm not proud of it. Most of the time in the college level, I saved it for the coaches and the refs. Uh, but at the pro level, no, every, everybody was game at the pro level. So that being said, and I would do my research. You know, so Jason Grimsley, you know, I, I certainly let him have it about shimmying his way through ventilation shafts to steal Albert Bell's, Albert Bell's bats whenever he'd pitch against the White Sox, all kinds of things. I think it was, I think it was um, oh, I, I just, Robin, I think it was Fick. He was notorious because he had seats right behind the visitor's bench in Washington. Right. 
and he read it, it, it was mostly for Jordan. He would heckle others, but Jordan is who he really lived for. And Jordan, to his credit, was a good sport about it. In a couple of instances, one of them, he wasn't a good sport about this one, but he <laughs> he read from the unauthorized biography about all the extramarital affairs. He oh. was reading as loudly as he could when is Jordan that, was on the bench. That's not the Jordan rules. I remember him reading from the Jordan rules, that book, the Sam uh, Smith book. Yeah, so th- that this one... This is a ma- different book? Yeah, yeah it was just a different book. Yeah, okay. But then there was uh, the, the one that was my favorite that he did. He got one of those, sort of the, like the playing cards that they use on the Price is Right, the giant ones, or card sharks. And he was dealing hands of blackjack. <laughs> the best is Jordan acknowledged at one point, like one of them, he's like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll take a hit on one of those cards when he was sitting on the bench. So that being, and there were other, other things. I, th- this guy. Yeah, I remember a, the guy. Yeah. He was, he was a notorious heckler. Like, Absolutely. Even, even like beyond the world of sports. He was like, he was like, yeah, you, you would see like a news report about him. Yeah, he, he transcended. So Barkley knew about it. He, for one of the games, I don't remember which one, one of the games in Phoenix, he flew him out and he had tickets behind the Bulls bench for that I didn't that know that guy. part. I didn't know that story. And when I read that story, I, one, I said, Sir Charles, that is amazing because, Sir Charles, you're one of my favorites, and the fact that you brought in one of the greatest hacklers yeah. to try and give yourself an edge is outstanding. I, I wouldn't have been upset if the Suns had won that year, because I also was a gigantic Charles Barkley fan and continue to be, and the Bulls had already won two at that point. Like, right. I, I would be happy for Charles if you had Barkley was getting up there and you know, you know, didn't know if he'd have another chance, so it was kind of a bummer. And he wouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> no. Try to hang on with the... Like, Old ass Olajuwon and Pippen. Yeah, that, that year was the, the, it's like the you know Carl Malone hanging on with the the Lakers to get one. You none, know. none of them didn't work for any of them. No. Uh, and then so that that was it on the history front. But the uh, New York Times bestseller, I was I actually had to go and check. I'm like, I swear to God, I had this one for a movie like two years later. How is this possible? The Bridges of Madison County. <laughs> I was about to ask if it was the Bridges of Madison it was, County. It was, and then I thought about. It, I'm like, wait, the movie let me check. came out. Right, yeah. so when we did it, it's that it happened to fall like right around the week that the movie came out. Yeah. This was actually when it was like a runaway bestseller for many, many months because right. it had just come out. But when I looked, I'm like, I think we just did this like two, two episodes ago, so I had to make sure that I wasn't wrong. Yeah, at least it wasn't a Clancy or a Dean Koontz or you know, at least it was something uh, And I'm, just to finish out, the Billboard 100, it's actually a song I recognize, which is rare, that's the way love goes by Janet Jackson is the number one song uh, in the Billboard 100. Oh, okay, not, uh, not a great song, but sure, I, no, I remember it's it. Fine. It's fine. All right, so that's uh, that's it in the history front. You ready? Uh, ready for the big picture? All right, let's do it. You want to talk? We'll talk. I'm a sucker for good conversation. All right, the big picture. This is the segment of the show where we discuss the plot of the movie, and I'll I'll give it a shot in my in my two sentences to to start, and, and we'll go from there. I think this one is pretty easy to summarize, but um, go ahead. Okay, there aren't a lot of twists and turns. It's kind of like the <laughs> twenty minutes in the movie, the same thing is happening. You know, a hundred minutes into the movie, it's like we're kind of still doing the same things. All right, so I have <clears throat> the original money plane is transporting a hundred million dollars from the Denver Mint. A midair hijacking doesn't go as planned, and the Rocky Mountain Rescue Squad is forced to fight back. <laughs> yes. Uh, have you seen Money Plane, by the way? Um, I've seen clips of it. 
I have it in my queue. I, I, I'm going to, I wanted to get this episode done and then watch Money Plane because I'm assuming it's not necessarily money coming from the mint, but I'm assuming that it's a similar premise. Oh, no, I think the premise of Money Plane is totally different. Oh, this is, is the like, Joey Lawrence directed movie, right? Yeah, money and I Plane? think Kelsey Grammer's in yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think, I think from what I've seen of the clips of Money Plane, let's just talk about a totally different movie we've never seen <laughs> right now, but, um, I think it's the the premise of that movie is like once you get above X number of feet, it's international waters and you can do anything. <laughs> and it's like gambling and like you know prostitution. But then then that gets robbed. I think is what it is because of course that's how it works. <laughs> do, do they broadcast major league baseball games with implied <laughs> oral consent? <laughs> One can only assume. I'll have to ask Joey Lawrence. All right, sorry. So let's let's get back to the plot. I I, I think my plot summary is pretty good, but is, are there things in uh, specific that you would like to cover? No, that's basically all that happens. I mean, it is pretty pretty simple. Um, yeah, it's Die Hard on a Mountain to to be, you know, obviously that was a trope of like Die Hard in a blank, Die Hard on a blank. Die Hard on a bus. Yeah, exactly. So this is Die Hard on a Mountain, um, directed by the director of Die Hard Two. Die Hard Two, yes, yes, among other things. Yeah, I, I think um, Rennie Harlan, like, he never made a movie that's like, this is amazing. It's just like, he's very workmanlike. Like, he, he, he's, he, a, he's a competent director. He's a competent director. He's not going to make any major mistakes, but he's not going to do anything that stands out either. Uh, well, actually, I think he does make some mistakes in that opening scene, but I think it's partially, I think it's more the editing than the directing. The directing is fine. It's just, I, I don't think he necessarily has any, like, he's not a director with a point of view. Or like anything, he's just no. like, I will make the movie that the studio wants me to make. You know, like that's kind of you know he's he's flipping burgers. Um, <laughs> not that that's a bad thing. Like it's it's a skill. Like, yeah. he's got the he's got the ability to make a. You certainly decent... can make bad movie, right? So it right. is a skill to make a movie competently. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know how much we want to walk through. I mean, I do want to talk about that that opening scene, but I want to save the details for later. But like, it opens with as we kind of intimated. Gabe, Gabe, he's Walker, right? Gabe Gabriel Walker. Walker. Yep. And he drops uh, Hal, Hal, Hal's girlfriend. Sarah, which for Sarah. some reason I know that, but I couldn't remember Hal. Okay. I, I didn't remember her name because she's in the movie for two minutes. Um, And yeah, so it sets up this tragedy of, um, you know, oh, there was this, there's this, you know, Gabe dropped this woman, so now he's been gone eight months, cut to eight months later. And then... um. And, and the thing that annoyed me, and this is again, I'll, I want to talk about the specifics of that opening scene. But beyond that, that scene is you know ends with this woman dying. It's you know it's a tragic thing. Cut right to the the mint. It's just like plot, 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 plot. It's like boy, give us a moment to come down from this woman dying. It's just like money's on this plane. Uh, that's the weird part to me. It's like they, they, there's no time, there's no space to be like, oh no, there boy, someone died. Yeah, there aren't any scenes whether it's with Hal or what. I mean, there's no. It's just like moving on. We've got yeah. a plot to introduce now. We, we got a plane to hijack. Yeah, but yeah, there's as you said, there's a plane that's hijacked, midair hijacking. Which, um, I think it's a big flaw of this movie that the hijacking. It goes bad before. Like most movies like this, it's like the villains are ruthless and they're efficient and they've planned this thing down to a T and only our guy can stop them. Here, this thing's going bad before Walker even comes into the picture. They are incompetent from the. Like, let's let's just put it out there right now. Eric Quaylen is no Hans Gruber. No. I mean, he, I mean, he, he wants can, to be. He couldn't carry Hans Gruber's 
jockstrap. No. It's not even close. I wish they had leaned into it, because the movie's trying to convince us, like, he's the greatest thief, and oh, he's an ex-CIA, or not CIA, he's, he's British, but yeah. he's yeah, yeah, ex-intelligence. or whatever, yeah. I don't think they say it, he's like, ex-intelligence, I assume it's MI6 or SAS. Um, but every every time they talk about him, it's like, oh, he's, what a, what a scary guy. And then he's so not, he is so incompetent. And just talking in cliches, the whole, everything out of his mouth. It's like, you know, this walker is beginning to annoy me. It's like, boy, that, I've seen heard a, a villain say that a hundred times. See, but the, for some of that stuff, I actually kind of enjoyed. Now, <laughs> what do you, how do you feel about his accent? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the, I see the thing. I don't, let's not get into too much. I, I want to okay, get okay, into okay. the details and details because this is not one to extend our discussion on the plot. Yeah, it fair is, enough. <laughs> there's not much here. Fair enough. Stallone mm. basically climbs, is a rock climber. And the plane crashes on a mountain. Walter, the plane has crashed into, <laughs> into the, the mountain. mountain. Yes. The money is scattered everywhere, and the villains have to go get it. I mean, that, that really is it. Right. They've got a GPS thing that tells them where the cases are. Yes. And so they're, but they need guides to tell them. It's like, well, shouldn't you be able to just follow this thing? Like, I understand that, like, oh, we don't know the way up. There, there must be some paths or whatever, but it seems like they are... They are way too concerned about, like, oh, we they, need a guide. It's like, at least try. They should have been like, oh, we can't, we don't know how to get up there. Now we need some help. Like, that's what it should have been. They seem too concerned with the guides. They also seem, they're too concerned with other people. They could e- easily have blended in on stuff. It, it, the movie has to, because they, they want Stallone to be the good guy, and he's a rock climber. I understand why they have to go through the gymnastics. Yeah. There had to have <laughs> been a, yes, but there had to have been a better way. Because there's other things, in particular, the the base jumpers, which man, I, I want to spend some time on those. Oh, guys. Oh sure, yes. I, I was spend... calling them Beavis and Butthead. And I know it's. <laughs> I have oh they, they they may be the most fun part of this movie. Keeping an eye on Beavis and Butthead. Uh, this was the time. I I have no doubt. I, this is. I'm honestly. I I'll bet you that Beavis and Butthead influenced Cliffhanger. It's like, oh, these. You know, this is big. Let's have characters that are kind of like that. I don't even. I'm not even joking. I like, wouldn't doubt it either. <laughs> but uh, so uh, I'm glad you're in agreement. Or uh, put it out there for me, Eric Quaylen, You are no Hans Gruber, and he's maybe the most incompetent villain. Like that we've without being covered. acknowledged. Yeah. No. Seriously, that we've covered in this podcast. I can't, I can't think of any villains that are more incompetent. They screw up the heist in midair. They have no real plan once they get on the ground. There's this like ruse of, like, we're stranded hikers, send up rescue. But then, when yeah, like you said, when they get there, it's just like, put a gun in their face and make them take you to the... Like, there's no nuance to this plan. <laughs> can, I, can I just say this? We need insulin. Would you have thought of <laughs> I that? I know, like, that was the most clever thing in the world. Like, they were still going to come. I know. <laughs> What difference? That was, it was maybe my favorite part. What difference does it make? Would you have thought of that? What a brilliant idea! All we right. need insulin. Which, which, we never see the insulin. Like, I, it's not like oh, we don't even know if Hal brought it. Right? Yeah, you would assume, but it's not like it would have been funny if it's like okay, who's the diabetic? Right? It's like oh, you're you're bad guys. Well, I still have to assume that you needed insulin. Like, why would you lie about that? <laughs> 
<laughs> no, we were lying. What? Why would you do that? Why? How does that help you? Like, he, I'm confused. I would have come rescue you anyway. <laughs> right Why did you give such, me such a specific detail? Yeah. I had to lug this insulin all the way up this mountain for nothing. Especially with, after they even say, okay, we're on our way. And then she goes, hurry, we need insulin. I guess right. she, I forgot. They say, <laughs> they say we're on our way before she even talks about the hurry. insulin. I guess they think that they're going to get there faster, but like, there's no, there's no ticking clock, really. Help. I guess they need to get there before the treasury guys arrive because they they know the because uh, um um Paul Winfield Paul Winfield um who who you talked about the Zeus oh, of the movie all right do it let's just do it now it's yeah, in my nose because, but... because um I have spoken I think he is a classic he's like almost the definition of it I, he is as close as Hector Salamanca in um end of days yes. end of days as the Pope. That's maybe the greatest example of Zeus. This is very, very close. Not only that, I think we're approaching the point where we can have like a Zeus Hall of Fame. Because... <laughs> the team photo. Well, cause to, so to explain to listeners who don't know, when we covered Hercules in New York, we commented on the fact that Zeus is a character who's just looking into a crystal ball being like, oh, Hercules is now wrestling a bear or whatever. He's just... He's, just <laughs> he's, he's watching the movie, basically, from afar and not involved in any way. And so whenever there are characters like this... Um, and but, a listener, uh, I think it was Dominic, uh, I our, think so. our, our listener, who, Suggest- who suggested this is something that should, is a recurring thing. It's but, been a while since we've had one. It's too. been a very long time. But here's the noteworthy thing, because we only we covered Hercules in New York after we covered The Terminator. And so we weren't looking for it at the time. But if you think about it, Paul Winfield is <laughs> the Zeus in The Terminator as well. <laughs> You're right. So he is He's front a of the line. Dip. He's a double dip Zeus. He goes front of the line Hall of Fame Zeus, Paul Winfield. He's the first ballot Hall of Famer. He absolutely is. Two different teams. He won championships with two different teams. He has to choose which ball cap he's wearing. <laughs> yes, exactly. Does he want the cliffhanger? Does he want Terminator? I think he should have the Terminator hat because at, I least, would, at I, least he got to die in that movie. But I would probably choose that. You are 100% right, Cause though. Because it's just him and Lance Henderson being like, we're going to comment on the things that are happening and but have no impact on it at all. Even when they and try, they just, just, they just die. So, yeah. Paul Winfield, who knew? He does, and he gets a decent amount of screen time. I kind of keep I enjoyed to keep cutting to him. It's like, when are you going to get to the fireworks <laughs> yeah. factory? He like made a career out of this. I don't know how Paul Winfield became famous, but I only know him from like these weird cameos and things. He's the he's the other uh, starship captain in Star, Star Trek Two: Wrath of Khan, the guy who like okay, gets yeah. the, the bug in his ear and then kills himself. Like he's always in these weird small parts where it's like and featuring Paul Winfield, you know, like like he's the most famous guy in the world. I don't know why he's even famous. I don't know how he ended up being in this position I, in his career where he could just like walk in and be like, "See, it's me." I the, think your favorite didn't, the cameo didn't, guy. Didn't Paul Winfield? Didn't he have a, a like a, a couple of TV series that I think he Probably. was famous for? That's what I think. He must have because I, 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 from like I, the early '80s on, it was just like, "Wow, we got Paul Winfield." I'm like, "Who is even is this?" He always should. He's, he's Zeus. That's he, who he is. He's never had a big part. Part in a movie post nineteen eighty two, it's just like he's always in this small part, being like, "Wow, can you believe I'm in this? They got me. <laughs> who are you? I well, like him. He, I, I always, I always like him. I can tell you, he is. He is a first ballot Hall yeah, of Famer of the Zeus of the movie. That's who Paul Winfield is. To be clear, I love Paul Winfield. He's always great. But yeah, he's he's definitely the in the Hall of Fame of Zeus. Who is it? It's 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 Paul Winfield. It's Hector Salamanca from. Uh, 
from uh, end, of end of days, and, it, and it suits himself. I think that's that's their current Hall of Fame. Or yeah, Hall I of think fame. we've had a few others, but those are the ones that like immediately are top of right. mind. The, the perfect example, like the classic example of like a character who it does not need to be in the movie at all, and we keep who is far away, just distant, constantly getting updates. Here's what's happening in the movie, Paul Winfield. Great, thank you. Cut away back, you know, like, we don't need this. What do you think, Pope? <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. That's the best one. <laughs> the Pope really is the best hey, one. Hey, Pope, here's what's happening. I'm going to summarize the movie for you, Pope. And then the Pope's just like, we must protect that girl. <laughs> Thanks, Pope. <laughs> On with the movie. All right. Um, sorry, that got derailed, but that was fantastic and a lot of fun. No, so, when I remembered that Paul Winfield was in The Terminator and served a similar role. Oh, like, that's oh. amazing. All right, so uh, you ready to move on to technology then? I think we covered the plot. <laughs> did we? <laughs> yeah, we basically did, right? I mean, bad guys are punished. Bad guys die and good guys fight them and save yeah. the day. And, and, uh, and, and well, I was about to say recover the money, but no, they destroy all the money. But <laughs> they do. We should talk about that later, I guess. All right. All right, let's move on to technology. <laughs> It's already up in the cloud. What cloud? What cloud? All right. Uh, technology. This is the segment of the show where we discuss how changes in technology would have altered the plot or other uh, points of the movie. This segment was kind of my creation. This movie and this kind of era is exactly... What I had in mind when I suggested this uh, for the Stallone episodes, because we didn't do this for uh, Schwarzenegger, mm-hmm. this is exactly why. The you know right off the top of the gate, cell phones, yeah, one hundred percent. I mean that, that's that's really the the, the big one. That's the yes. one I have. Well, especially in contrast to the radio technology that is presented in this movie, <laughs> very inconsistently. Also, Cole just completely shuts it down. Je- Sometimes Jesse, because this movie takes place over the, uh, over the course of two days. And so the first day, Jesse gets dropped off by Frank, the helicopter pilot. And Im- immediately she finds she finds Gabe, and it's like, radio for help. Oh, no, I can't. My radio's frozen. You've been out here 10 minutes. Meanwhile, the villains have radios, and they're, they're listening into everything. They're listening into every broadcast. <laughs> Their radio isn't frozen. They've been out there over two days. I know. <laughs> See, these are the kinds of things that I loved about this movie. Oh, I mean, look, it's not, it's, it's, well, I wish it was, it knew how absurd it was. That's the thing. Is that this movie thinks it's a real thriller. It's a serious, oh, this could happen. <laughs> I, I, I honestly, it's a little too serious. All right. Well, <clears throat> cell phones was right at the top of my list. Um, yeah. I, to, to be fair, I don't know if in the middle of a mountain in the wilderness, you're going to get cell phone reception, but um, maybe. maybe. Now, in, in the in early Colorado, in the maybe. early days of cell phones, no. But I can tell you, in Rocky Mountain National Park, yeah, because I've been I've been there recently, and even with okay. T-Mobile. Now, granted, at the top and the peak, you're probably right, but somebody at some point would have gotten some signal somewhere. Yes, changes the movie. Yeah, yeah. A- and we'll talk about it later. But actually, you don't even need a cell phone, but because they had other opportunities that apparently the heroes didn't really want to take advantage of. To let poor Frank, you talk about Frank. I feel so bad for Frank, but we'll, yeah, that we'll that that whole thing was ridiculous. All right, so I mean, boy, the mu- the music really tells you how tragic that is. The music in this movie is so overblown. Everything is the most <laughs> dramatic thing. All right, so I, I actually had a few. So another one I had the, the concept, the another concept idea is it's just quaint and amusing. Thousand dollar bills to move a hundred million dollars is laughable today. 
with cryptocurrency. I mean, there are so many ways, right, that it's it would be easier to move and or steal $100 million today oh, than it is in $1,000 bill increments at 40,000 feet. <laughs> well, this the whole thing is like this currency isn't even transferable. It's only for like international exchange. Yes. Yeah, so I would assume all that's done electronically now. We just do a wire transfer. It is, and I think it was in 1993 yeah, you're too. Probably right. Between yes. governments, I'm like, well, I maybe there were you know some you know smaller, not as sophisticated infrastructure you know countries. Right. I maybe, but. Uh, it it didn't seem very plausible. It seemed like they had to come up with a way why there would be $1,000 bills being moved around. I wasn't sure. I mean, maybe in the 90s, $1,000 bills weren't being like printed for no, normal use anymore. Okay, no, that, maybe that's why. Because I was like, why are they even bothering with this explanation of, like, it's only for international exchange? It's like, why not just make it real money? No, that, no, because of actually drug trafficking is the reason why $1,000 bills were taken out of circulation. It would have been right around the time of clear and present danger to okay. the United States. So that that actually... I think they lay that out in the movie too, but the the concept that you'd you'd need them cer- certainly today it's laughable to think how quaint it is of of thousand dollar bills being the best way to move a hundred million dollars. Yeah, well, and the security on those the hundred million dollars these are details that I'm sure we will get into. We will. Uh, I got one other. Do you have any other mo- others on technology? Well, I'll, I'm going to save it for little details because I I, okay. I want to get into more more detail than we usually do in this segment, but you know. The electronic lock technology of 1993 in these cases. Okay. That's all. all I right. think I would have to assume that you can do better in 2021 than you could in 1993 when it comes to securing this money. All right. I did not have that, so let's talk about the little details. My last technology is search planes and helicopters. No. Oh, sure. They're, and they're not sending, right, human. They're not saying sending Gabe and Hal at first. They're getting drones out there to try and find people with a GPS location of where they're at, and they see whether or not they really need insulin. Yeah, well, even in the 90s, I'm not sure how plausible this is, where it's like, don't don't these rescue teams, don't they know that two planes, well, one plane crashed, the other plane exploded, <laughs> and they're like, they, they don't seem to know. On their mountain, a plane crashed, and it's like, You're oh, right. there's hikers missing. It's like, don't aren't you aware that there's a plane crash? Isn't this your job to know these things and to rescue the people? <laughs> they don't even seem to know. So I feel like they would They're have too busy checking out Frank's paintings. <laughs> yes, yeah, his painting of a banana eating a monkey. Oh, man bites dog. I wonder if a recreation of that is available on the internet in the same way that you can buy the Goodfellas painting. Uh, Probably not. It it would be kind of great if it did exist. Uh, the Goodfellas painting is a is a lot more iconic though than I think yes, of course. Frank's banana painting yeah. and cliffhanger. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, that's what I had on the technology front. Sounds like uh, that's what you've got. So you ready? Uh, you ready for the little details? Yep. All right. That cardboard headstone tipped over. The, this graveyard is obviously phony. All right. The little details. A segment of the show where we discuss minutia that we found interesting or noteworthy. Yeah, I'm going to start with the music because I thought the music in this movie is very bad. And at this point, I don't remember how the theme goes, but it plays over and over. And I'm glad that it got out of my head because it was stuck in my head for a couple of days. And uh, I just think every every moment the music is doing the wrong thing, basically. It's interesting. So I normally don't comment on the score. I don't have as much of an ear for it as you. But my first note is the opening score felt like a Bond movie at first, and then it shifts to like a love story. I was very, very confused by the music. Yeah, it just feels like this mishmash of like... Well, also... I think it was kind of a trend at the time where it was like your movie had to have wall-to-wall music. Like every scene's got to have music in it. It's like 
I mean, that's still sort of true in some types of movies, but <clears throat> in particular, that opening scene, it starts with this big, sweeping, epic music. Like you said, it, it feels like, you know, it's it's a very romantic score. Like, I know what you mean, but it's saying it felt like a love story. Like, it's romantic almost like in the classical music sense of like the romantic period. It's like this very like lush, you know, sweeping score. And then when things start to go bad in this opening scene, and it's just like, the music is just blaring like, bah, 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 bah. it's just like, oh no, she's going to fall. It's like, yeah, you don't have to make us afraid. Like, she's going to fall. I, I feel like this this opening scene, the way that it it's tried almost, to ratchet up the tension was all the opposite of what it should be doing. You mentioning it, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of like a silent film where they, they literally don't have dialogue. Yes. It's just up on there. So you got to jam on the piano like to, to raise the tension. You're yes, right. That's, that's kind of what it's like. That's exactly what it's like. <laughs> it's, it, if she was tied up on a train on track, she Yes. And then and then Gabe shows. Yeah. No, it, it is very much like it's it's very overblown. And and just in general, since we're talking about it, I just want to talk about that opening scene where, where that where Sarah is that her name? Sarah. Yep. Where she falls. Everything's overblown. It's not just the. I mean, I'm, this is probably the fault of uh, the director. It's, is tone and. The acting, I think, by her, by that, and I don't think it's her, the actress, actress's fault, but, you know, that's obviously a terrifying thing. She, I mean, she, she dies, so it's like she had every right to be terrified. But she's going across this thing, and they're trying to rescue them from this peak that she's not a good climber, and she's in this, like, pr- precipice. Like, yeah, I, I don't know how I she even how got Rooker, up there. Rooker got her up there. Right. But she's going across, and then her, her harness breaks, like, almost... <laughs> Too many shots of the thing coming loose to, to the point where it becomes like comical. It's like you know, it remind you know what it reminded me of. Speaking of Star Trek, it reminded me of Star Trek Generations. Do you remember when Kirk di- spoilers? Kirk dies, yeah, um, and he's like on this bridge, and the bridge is giving way, and it's like cut to this rivet coming loose, cut to the chain shaking, cut to a thing pulling, and it's like nine different shots of like insert shots of things coming loose, and that it was just too many shots of like harnesses you. coming out. Anyway, she starts to fall, and then immediately she's at 11, like, help me, I'm going to die, help me, help me. And so, you know, I'm sure someone would be terrified in that situation, but from a movie point of view, there needs to be peaks and valleys. You can't start there, because then you have nowhere to go. She should have been like, get out, get out, help me, help me. Like It should yeah. be like that. Escalating as it's starting to... Unravel, but especially in the music's blaring, like oh she's gonna fall. And then Gabe gets out there. There's like oh no, it's gonna be too wait- too much weight in the line. Whatever. He gets out there. She falls off her harness. He grabs her by the arm, and she's still going like help! I'm gonna die! Help! And it's like shouldn't there be a moment of relief? It's like oh my god, you caught me! Like thank you. And then oh no, I'm slipping. I'm slipping. You know it. Have it have it be like everything's gonna be okay. Like give us some dimension. Give us some like yeah, there give is us a, the roller coaster. There it's, is no roller she's coaster. She's just screaming bloody murder the whole time and it's just it's by the end it's exhausting. It's like fine, drop her. Oh <laughs> I mean as an audience member, I'm going like I want this scene to end because I'm just three minutes of her screaming is just two minutes too many. Well, what about the bear that fell? Were you upset? Oh, I know. Why is that bear up there? I'll I'll move that question up. Why did she bring a stuffed bear to this climb? There's no carnival up there where they can win a bear. Why, why does she have this bear? So many bears. <laughs> yes. Oh, maybe it was that bear. What was that thing called? I don't know. Oh, Harris, Harrison Bear. Because remember, she wants her family to be together as one. Harrisone. Harrison Bear. Yeah, it was a Harrison Bear. Oh, there's been a lot of deep pulls from old <laughs> oh, episodes true. in our archives should, for listeners who might not have listened to our jingle all the way to episode yes thank you for calling out which episode that's from because you're right that is a very very deep cut <laughs> yeah I have, to, I have to assume that is a harrison bear 
But so many bears. She, she brought that bear up on the the highest peak of the Rocky Mountains. It's obviously just there to show, like, oh, look okay. how far it is. If if she falls, look look how far no. she'll fall. Wait, do you have an explanation? I have an explanation. Oh, so well, he's getting ready with the button. No, <laughs> well, we're not in the segment, and also you're answering the question, so I shouldn't hit the button, should I? Not yet. Okay, so even though it's outside, we're in the wrong segment. You moved it up. I'm going to answer the question. You ready? Okay, yes. Okay. So she brought it up there because her local library program, much like our library program when my kids were younger, they would have, um, I, I don't remember the name of the mascot, but you could take out like a travel kit from the library. Okay. And it had books for the kids in the car and some other things. But it also had a stuffed animal that had some name. I don't remember sure. anymore. Library and mascot. Library yeah. mascot that you took. You know, took a picture okay. of where you went on vacation, and you gave a little detail. They put oh. it up on the board. So what I think is... Well done. I think Sarah had the bear there for a photo op for her vacation from the local library. So many bears. That might be the most impressive example of playing devil's advocate we have seen yet on this podcast. I would give you an award for that if I could. <laughs> Maybe I'm very We're impressed. adding all kinds of things here as we wind down Sloan. Maybe we're going to have to come up with a new award. Yeah, there should be a positive. All we have is we have no case now. There should be a positive one. Like, good job. You came up with a very good example, a good answer to the question. No, that's that's a good, that's a very good answer. All right, I think you. that's fantastic. All right. Um, okay, so we are actually oh. in the little details, so yes. we should get back to the little details. My last point about that opening scene, because I did have a lot to say about it. I, I literally had like four notes about this scene, and I'm, I'm only off, going off the top of my head. I'm not even going to go to my notes because I have way more, and I'm just going to skip it. But the shot of her falling also makes it kind of laughable because he drops her. We see her po- his point of view, Stallone's point of view, her falling. And she's screaming and falling, and it's like a green screen shot. And that's the point of view we should be seeing, is we should be seeing this through his eyes. And it's, it's, it's heartbreaking at the, in that moment. And then you cut to um, the helicopter and the folks over in the helicopter, including uh, Hal. And this is his girlfriend, and he's watching her die. And he's like, oh, it's, you know, he does a pretty good job, um, Michael Rooker does, portraying that moment. And we hear her falling, and we should never see her again. But we do. We cut back to her, and it's the like, a camera on a green screen like... She's obviously just standing still, and they're putting a, pe- a background yeah. falling behind her, and she's going, ah, like it's like a sketch, like a Saturday Night Live sketch. <laughs> um, and then cut to a dummy falling, which is just flopping around. Like, boy, this was an effective moment for like two or three shots, and then they undercut it by cutting back to her. It's like, we shouldn't see her again. The last time we should see her was from Gabe's eyes as she falls. We don't want to watch her actually like fall all the way. Forget the bad dummy. Like It's a bad dummy, and it doesn't look good. But I, yeah, I hear you. Just psychologically, you don't need to see her again. Just hearing her fall is way more like right. heartbreaking and scary. Yeah. No, I, I, I hear you. It was a poor choice for sure. Uh, okay. So my, I guess, second note, because I had this uh, kind of similar on the score, I I just noted <sighs> Gabe Walker and Kit Latura from Daylight, they just are not action Hero names to me, so something. <laughs> Gabe I, Walker is. I think Gabe, Gabe Walker. You think Gabe? No offense to the Gabe's in the world. I don't see action hero in we Gabe. Had Gabriel or Kit. Tango. Or wait, was it was it yes. Gabriel Cash or Gabriel Tango? Okay, uh, but it was Gabe, Kurt Russell in that one. Yeah, Kurt Russell was Gabe in that one. I, I no, just, it was Gabe. It was Gabriel Tango, or no, it was Gabriel Cash because I we were, I was saying Cash should have been Stallone because he was rich. That's right. Yes. So yeah, Gabriel Cash is Kurt yes. Russell. Okay. Well, did Gabe, you not like Gabriel Cash? 
I maybe it's just because of the Kit Latura. Something about oh, Kit Latura is a bad name. It's not a good movie character name. Just not just movie, but for an action hero. I, maybe yeah. I've just you know just talked so much about Schwarzenegger that it was John. You know, it was John so many times. It's just yes. John Kruger. You know, John whatever. And what do we got? Gabe Walker and Kit Latura in the '90s for Stallone. I mean, I think that's a sign. Even John of... Spartan, right? John Spartan. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Yeah. I, I buy that. Uh, Gabe Walker and Kit Latura. I mean, yeah. John is just the default action hero name. John McClane. Also. Yes. But I, I think that's a sign of the people writing these movies thought they were making thrillers. Like, I mean, you could be right. There. I mean, Daylight is, is less of an action movie. It's a disaster movie, so That's I could fair. see, That's you fair. know, Kit Latura is the name of a civil servant, right? Like he is. <laughs> so, I mean, I, that makes more sense. I, I don't mind uh, Gabe Walker as a, as a right. character name. All right. Then it was it's just... a little forgettable, but it, it's, it's it, I like it. It's All okay. right. All right. I, I, I guess I was being too harsh. Fair. Um, well, whatever. You can dislike. I'm, I'm happy to like it, and you can dislike it all you want. Um, okay. I have a comment that I have it here at the beginning, but it also ties to the ending of this movie. So I'm kind of jumping ahead, but there's a line that the Gabe Walker says to Sarah. I, I know it starts with an S Sarah, right? Uh, who, uh, who falls falls. Yes. Sarah, yeah, okay. Sarah. Yes. When he hooks her up to the line, he goes, you ready for the best ride in the park? You know, they're just like joking around or whatever. Yeah. This movie ends with a horrible one liner where he goes, Keep your hands and arms inside the vehicle. Why didn't he just say, are you ready for the best ride in the park again? Refer to the line at the beginning. It's, it's pithier. It's shorter. <laughs> I, jumped, I jumped ahead, I know. Oh, but I mean, ahead it's, beca- it's because he says, Get ready for, are you ready for the best ride in the park? It's like, that would have been a way better ending line. Just, and he, it's set up here, and it never pays off. It is, and it makes even less sense, because I'll jump ahead. Lithgow goes down. His are, they all are inside the vehicle. It makes no sense. He's not even in the vehicle when he says it. When Stallone says that, he kicks him into the vehicle. He kicks him into it, but then, well, no, he's clearly not safe because he just died inside the vehicle when it blew up. Yeah. It makes no sense on any level. And I didn't think about it from the, the other line because I didn't really rem- remember the, uh, yeah. the ready for the best ride in the park. You're, you're right on all fronts. Not only would it have been better because it's shorter, it's, it's you know pithier, but then the way that Lithgow dies, it makes more sense, too, because right. he actually goes for a ride. <laughs> yes. Where the other one, he, well, no, actually, his arms and hands are inside, or arms and legs are inside, but he still is dead. <laughs> right. He's not Please sick. keep your hands and arms inside the vehicle. Also, feel free to, to put them outside of the vehicle because it doesn't matter. Because you're going to explode. <laughs> it's more for cleanup than anything. It's like, please keep your hands and arms inside the vehicle because it'll be easier to scoop up your body if it's all in one piece. <laughs> yes. Anyway, sorry oh, for jumping to the end, that, but that's since all right. we were talking about the opening scene, that's I didn't definitely one of my notes because that that line it was uh, that whole scene we probably need to spend more time on. Oh, I'm sure we will. All right, so I, I want to highlight two uh, two actors here on my next note: uh, Treasury Agent Travers. Yes. So the the actor, I, I mean, I, I, I first I'm like, where would I know this guy? Where do I know this guy? And then I'm like, oh, television. And as I looked up his filmography, there's actually another TV connection I didn't know to the show. He is apparently had a CSI Miami starring role. He was, you know, one of the stars of that show. I had no idea. I didn't know what that. Excellent was. Um, his one guy standing nearby as glass, sunglasses were <laughs> taken off. It was with, yeah. <laughs> uh, but then it came to me about midway through the movie. I'm like, oh, he's a banker. He is from Better Call Saul. Is what I remember him most from. Oh, who is he in Better Call Saul? He's uh, Kevin. 
the uh, the bank president. Yes. Oh my god, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Because yeah, he's he's quite a bit older. Obviously. Yeah. He, yeah. So he does look different. But I'm like, where do I know him from? And then one other thing, when I looked in the filmography, I was so disappointed I didn't recognize. I think this might be what I knew him from. Go uh, you you go first. Let's see. I recognize him from Tin Cup. No. Okay. It's different. Well, in Tin Cup, I don't remember. I don't know that movie that well. What is he? In he's Tin just Cup? one of Kevin Costner's like hillbilly buddies. Gotcha. Okay. He is the detective in Clear and Present Danger, who plays the tape. The machine is still on, Moira. I don't actually think he has a line. I think he may actually only be there yeah. investigating, but that is definitely Rex Lynn in, in Clear and Present Danger. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. So, so but yeah, mostly, I, it, he's one of these guys, I'm sure we've seen him in a hundred movies. He's got a very, he's very recognizable. This has got to be his most prominent role in anything. Yeah, because I mean, he's, you know, the secondary villain, so without a doubt. So I, I, he's, I, he's so plain looking that the movie kind of tries to pull a switcheroo about who the inside guy, because well, for a moment it's like, this FBI guy's crooked. No, okay, no so he's actually trying to let's let, Let's get to that, because I, I wanted to give credit to that guy, too. One, his performance... One I, and he's he's a you know he's been, I, his filmography he's been a lot of stuff but it's generally smaller stuff. Okay. That guy had me a hundred. I loved that guy in this movie because he had me one hundred percent convinced that he was that he was the inside guy. One hundred percent, he had me convinced. Yeah. From you know he's not in it very much, and then ironically when I looked up his filmography, I'm like, oh, it's perfect. He is in The Devil's Advocate. He is the Justice Department guy who is trying to investigate Pacino that gets mowed down by a car like 15 seconds into his appearance in the movie. He gets run over. Oh, I don't remember. It's oh, been yeah, a so, long time. Yeah, so that, that was the other thing that I, I'm like, I know I've seen this guy, but I had to look up the filmography. Okay. So in both movies that I remember, you know, I've either recently seen him in or remember him, he does not last very long. Sure, no. He doesn't last very long in Cliffhanger. Well, he lasts longer in this movie than they realize because he's, he's the one who puts the monkey wrench in their plans. He definitely wrecks some shots. Yeah, he does. My thing is, I agree, he, they do a good job with the switcheroo you think that he's he's uh, on there he, he sold me yeah he, he's invited himself onto this flight and you go oh he's it's because he's gonna rob it oh but it's not even that too because the moment that I really I really thought is when he's looking out and he says oh you know I, I totally believe that he was like trying to draw their attention to the the hijacking plane, right? To get basically the drop on him. I'm like, oh, he's you know he's gonna he's gonna kill all them. And it, oh yeah, well, oh I I found like I've seen this movie and I didn't remember that he's not the bad guy. Oh, it's definitely they're trying to mislead the the audience and you know because the the other guy the, the Rex Rex Travers, Lynn, Rex Travers. Lynn a- Agent Travers, yeah. Yeah, he's done nothing suspicious at all. He's very officious and very like I'm going to tell you all about this well, this, yes. this this money and how it's used for international exchange. In, including never lost a dollar on you know, 28 flights whatever he says. Yeah. Yeah, but but why? Why the switcheroo? That's the thing that I, I didn't understand. I'm just like why even that's, bother with this? That's fair. Just I make the FBI guy the bad guy. Like what or, or switch the roles, switch the actors. Like you don't <laughs> What is this switcheroo accomplishing? I may I I the only thing I is that I might argue or put out for discussion is that if you're right that it was really more a thriller, or they thought they were doing a thriller and an action movie. Maybe that's the reason why, is they just wanted to throw the audience off. Um, either way, I, I, I just wanted to highlight, I, I appreciated that actor's performance, because he completely sold me on the switch. Oh, role. I agree. He's good. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it convinces you that he's the bad guy, but then in hindsight, it all still makes sense of like... Because he knows that Travers is crook, or he suspects anyway. He suspects, because, the, yeah, the... I, 
I, I, when we get one of one of Paul Winfield's Zeus reports, <laughs> yes, one of the reports is is that the FBI had an inside that he was put there because they had been monitoring that the planes in some way the FBI knew that the planes were being monitored from Denver to San Francisco or wherever it was supposed to be. From. Right? Yeah, they they suspected it was an inside. It was in one of the Zeus reports. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, before we get to the um, the heist itself, because I have some comments about the specifics of the heist. I want to I want to talk about the introduction of Beavis and Butthead. Where first of all they recognize Stallone from a m- mile away. It's like, hey, it's Gabe. It's like I guess they recognize his car, car but even the, still, the car is the only thing that I I. But I it's, guess. it seems like there'd be a lot of those because he's got either a Jeep, he's got something, he's got a Land Rover. They're driving a Jeep. I noticed oh. it. I'm not a car guy, but I noticed it because. Um, they end up driving side by side along the road where, where Stallone is driving into oncoming traffic, and no one seems at all perturbed by this. They're just having a casual conversation. Hey, how you been? It's like you can have this. You can catch up at a time when you're not driving into oncoming traffic. It is true, <laughs> but I noticed you don't own the road. Well, apparently, maybe they do. Maybe it's just like I know this road. No one ever drives on this road. Is maybe what's happening. But um, I noticed how like uncool the Land Rover looked in comparison to the Jeep, where he's driving this like. Kind of like clunky British like car of just like it's it's it it just looked very like uncool and just old fashioned compared to the Jeep that the Beavis and Butthead were driving. I'm sure those guys had names. I don't. Remember oh, they did because I have a lot on them. Would, would you okay. like to spend a little time on them or you? Sure, we can. On? Well, the only the only other thing I wanted to comment on is they're like he's like oh watch out for the weather that's coming because it's part of the plot is like a storm rolls in. And they're like there it's all right. We like it extreme. You you prefer a storm when you're base jumping? You, I how does that make it more extreme? It's isn't that just ruining the thing you're trying to do? I think you're right, but here's here's I have a theory on this, and I'm gonna, I'm going to now move up. I think I'm going to move up a question because I I okay. have one for for these guys. So. All right. Okay. I think I have more notes about them later, but um, I don't. Remember well, I'm going to move this up. All right. Here's my my devil's advocate question for you. Okay. You set a high bar. Are you ready? I'll I'll, I'll do what I can. Does Roy Nord exist in this universe? And if so, <laughs> is that his brand of gear that the base jumpers are using up on the mountain? <laughs> I have to assume that um, if Roy Nord does exist, that uh, they would be way into Roy Nord. Or is he, he's too corporate, I think. You think I, so? I would argue that these guys would not be into Roy Nord. That's too corporate and too okay. like mainstream. Do you think Roy Nord exists in this world? And if so, I'll bring up another one of my questions. I have a lot of questions, so I can move them up. Okay. At some point, Hal says one of the faces, yeah, it could be faster if you want to climb up the east or west face. Right. But there's only 17 guys in the whole world that can do it. My question to you is, is Roy Nord one of the 17 who can do it? <laughs> um... <laughs> I'm going to say, you know what? For listeners, sorry, by the way, oh, Roy yeah. Nord is a character in the movie Daylight, Daylight. Yeah. that we both enjoyed and loved immensely. Who was the, the CEO or president or something of this extreme sports brand, and he's in, in all his commercials <laughs> climbing um, mountains and, and skydiving and stuff. Extreme! I, I, I don't know how, I don't remember the details of those commercials anymore that Roy Nord was in, but I, I wonder how much of a fraud he was. <laughs> Because at the end of the day, he was not able to to extreme his way out of that tunnel. Oh, he was. It was collapsed down onto him after he tried to climb out. He was very confident that he would get out, but he was uh, he that confidence was not warranted. So I, I I'll bet Roy Nord 
isn't actually a good climber or he's, he's not one of the 17. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's fun to, to imagine that he does exist. It's, well, if, if he I exists spent a lot in this of time world, imagining Roy Nord existing in this world, if he exists in this world, then, uh, Gabe Walker and, uh, what's his name? in uh, Kit, what's the Kit, Kit Latoro. They both exist in this world and they, they look identical. They're, they're, you know, I guess it's a similar thing where commando and predator exist in the same world. So there's two Arnold's running around. So I guess there can be two Stallone's running around okay. in the, in the shared, uh, cliffhanger daylight universe all right well at least in my mind roy nord existed and i thought these guys might be roy nord uh purchasers but i, I can understand that he- i don't think these guys would be into any brand that would have two super bowl ads that's just too mainstream for them <laughs> Fair enough. all right sorry so what's uh, what's your next uh, little if, detail if this do- if this isn't a world where roy nord exists this would be before he died because this is three years earlier so that's yeah, right he, this might roy, be the peak of it roy could Nord's be, powers. it could be absolutely and that's the reason i wondered is he one of the 17 but I hear you. You think I don't he's, think he's all hat. He's no cattle. He's he's a lot of hype, not a lot of or a lot of a lot well, of sizzle, not a lot of steak with he, Roy Nord. He you know he's a guy who partakes in extreme sports where he can, but he also has a business to run. So he can't devote himself to you know honing his climbing craft the way that uh, say Gabe Walker can. I love how much time I got you to spend on this episode on Roy. No, Nord. That's, I'm happy to talk about Roy Nord in any scenario, in any situation, <laughs> even if we're not talking about that movie anymore. All right. What's next for you, my friend? Um, so yeah, we can talk about the details of this heist if uh, if you want. I first of all, just a little behind the scenes thing worth pointing out is that this was a real stunt. They a guy got on a real line and shimmied across from one plane to another. I saw that. That's amazing. Paid a guy a million dollars to do it because apparently it was just like there's no way to do this safely. Yeah, nobody like he, would insure it. I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. Well, and uh, according to I, I think I saw this on IMDb that uh, Stallone put up a portion of the money to insure it himself. Wow. And also he put up some money for like reshoots. Like Stallone was literally invested in both emotional and financial ways yeah. in this movie. I guess it must have paid off because this movie made a lot of money. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Paid paid this stuntman a million dollars, which I think to this day is like the most ever a stuntman has ever been paid for a stunt. Wow. I don't, even now, I don't think they ever pay a million dollars. But yeah. Yeah, and it's not even really all that exciting, to be honest. I mean, you, you watch it and you go, like, okay, I can tell this is real, and that's impressive. But I don't know. It doesn't feel it doesn't feel like a million dollars worth. I don't it know. It doesn't, but I, I think some of that, though, is that you're saying that in 2021, and the problem is is that our like grasp on I just what has been done with effects, I think, Skews that a little bit. I think in Maybe. nineteen, I think in nineteen ninety three, this would have been cooler than we remember. Maybe. I mean, you know, Bond movies were doing stuff like this. It's only a couple years later is when uh, you know the guy uh, bungee jumped down a dam or whatever. So it's like that's similar. Yeah, for gold that, that feels more exciting or impressive to me. I guess okay. it's, not, it's not that it's not impressive; it's very impressive. But just as a movie stunt, it's just like I shimmy and I don't know. Like, it's not really something that's all that exciting. I guess. All right, I, I I'm not trying to diminish. I, I couldn't I couldn't do it. Look, I'm not saying that the guy didn't do an impressive thing, but well, I'll talk a little bit about the heist because I'll highlight another actor. Because when I got to this point, I'm like, this movie has everything. Mrs. Sh- Oscar Schindler is flying the hijacking plane. Oh wow, I didn't recognize her from anything. Oh, you didn't? That. Oh, I immediately I'm like, that's Oscar Schindler's wife. I'm like, this movie has everything. Wow. Yeah. So she and she flies the plane and she's uh she's. She she thinks of everything. She does. I mean, the, the insulin we in particular. We need insulin. I think that's her really her only contribution, because otherwise, I don't know if she really does much. 
Uh, well, she flies the plane. Right, but she crashes it. Granted, the plane gets shot That's up a bunch. That's not her fault. It's not her fault, no, but, um, you know. After that, what does she do? She, she threatens to fly the helicopter, but never does. <laughs> I don't think. Well, she doesn't get a chance. No, she never doesn't get a chance. It's, it seems like kind of a wasted character. Also, because I don't know if there was supposed to be some kind of intimation of a romantic relationship between her and John Lithgow's character. I kind of got that a little bit. A little bit. Like, it kind of hinted at it a little bit, maybe. Oh, she did a, She set the C4. Come on, she she blew up part of the mountain. Okay, yeah, that's you true. You should see me bake a cake. That's true, yes, she did. There <laughs> are some really bad lines in this. Oh, there are a lot of they're bad lines. They're so much fun, though. Yes. Well, they're less fun than there should be, because there was one line here that... Uh, you mean suits, socks, 100 million, usual stuff. <laughs> no, that's not the line I was thinking of, but... Okay. Lithgow... <laughs> Let's just talk. This is maybe this is going to be the point where we, should, we talk about it. Lithgow. I think he's a good actor in general. He's not like one of the greats, but he's fine. Um, Again, he's a competent. He's a competent yeah, actor. He's a competent actor. He's he's able to do comedy. He's able to do drama. Yeah. He's he's versatile. I feel like there should be more of a glint in his eye. Like, he doesn't seem like he. This character is written like Hans Gruber, and but Hans Gruber is having fun. Oh, that yes. guy is having a blast robbing that building. This guy, what's Qu- Quaylen? Eric Quaylen. It's I, a terrible name, too. I know. All I can remember is it begins with a Q, and so I'm, gonna, oh. I'm sure I'm going to call him all kind of Quinlan. I'm sure I'm going to call him nine different things. Um, it's, it starts with the name, and the name is terrible for a villain. Yeah, Eric Quaylen. Well, it rhymes with flailing, which is maybe this whole thing is just <laughs> flailing around. But he, the, the line that I wanted to highlight is, so the FBI guy is not dead, and he shoots up the plane and ends up causing the money to fall into the mountain, which is the beginning of their troubles. And one of uh, of Lithgow's goons gets shot, and someone's like, "What do we do? He's, he's hurt. What do we do with him? Get him to a hospital fast!" And then just kicks him out of the plane. <laughs> <laughs> but we're laughing. Come on, that was kind of no. Fun. It's a it's a good line, but I don't think Lithgow delivers it with the glint in his eye that he, say okay. Alan Rickman would have. Like this character, Quaylen seems so grumpy. Which, granted, he has every right to be this plan is falling apart the entire time. So he has every right to be grumpy. From the jump. Yes. This plan is a disaster. But he's, he's just a very grumpy character. He's not having fun. You're right. So Hans Gruber, you know what I'm thinking as you were saying with the glint in his eye? You're right. And what I was thinking is Hank Scorpio. He needs that, that certain delivery that I could see... Albert Brooks delivering that as Hank Scorpio, get him to. I could see really having a lot of fun with his yeah. delivery of that. And a character like this, it should, the whole time it should be like, can you believe we're doing this stuff? Like that should be the whole vibe. He's just like, damn it, we dropped the money. Ah, oh, this guy Walker, he's a thorn in my side. He's so angry about everything. He's a very frustrated <laughs> he villain. He's extremely frustrated. Yeah. So I, I don't think that really works for me. Oh, I mean, we, we touched on his accent earlier, and that's oh, not helping. It's atrocious. It doesn't help that they cast two real Brits. There's the woman of the, the pilot, and then there's another guy who's like kind of cockney. He's like, oh, I'm going to get you. Or whatever. The, the footballer? Yeah, the footballer. I, yeah, so, I actually uh, have it in here. The uh, It was the poor man Vinnie Jones, although I know this guy came before Vinnie Jones, but that's immediately what I thought of. He's not even a footballer. He calls it soccer, which this guy would never call it soccer. I'm going like, they chain, they some studio was like, he can't say football. He needs to say, he needs to say soccer. <laughs> you a fan of soccer? This guy would never say no, soccer. No, I didn't even think of that. There is no way that is. I mean, I understand it. Whatever, it's an American studio. Like, yes, but that clearly is that is not what that character would actually no. say. He probably would beat his own ass for saying soccer. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <actually. laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, that guy being in this movie does not help Lithgow. Does not do Lithgow's accent any favors. It is. It's bordering on because um, when when. Uh, 
after after our last episode recording when you picked it and I I I had compared uh, Lithgow's accent to Stewie from Family Guy uh was was um cuz I had I had already watched part of it but I kind of wish it had gone farther in that direction where it was just the most ridiculous like <laughs> like you know reveal at the end that it's a fake accent that this is like part of his you know He's he's disguising his identity. Yes. Oh, this guy, you know, this guy is an American or whatever. And damn it, you know, whatever. He just it would have been him. even better if he's if at some point one of the goons like nobody's buying the accent. <laughs> just drop it. Nobody's like, wait, where are you from? Where? <laughs> I'm from Liverpool. No, he would like I would be from Liverpool. But I'm I'm from yes. the right. West End. Whatever. Uh, all right. So one one of the ones I wanted to highlight. You get really early on. I don't know if it's in that – it might be the opening sequence getting up to the fall. You get the bolt gun firing into the mountain. It's very early on. Yeah. I'm like, oh, Stallone is going to get multiple terrorists with this bolt gun. That's a great point. I, I mean, seriously, I'm like, I am just wait. It yeah. took like forever. I, I mean, finally got one. It was Travers at the end. Oh, is that what he shoots him with? That's what he shoots him oh, with. Oh, it's see, totally that, absurd that to that go through ice, and I, that's not how that. Whatever. Well, but I, if it goes through rock, it's but even go though, ice. but even that, it doesn't actually really work that way. It was totally movie crap. It doesn't actually. Oh really yeah, work I that was. Way. I assumed that. That but seemed I, like the kind of thing where you wouldn't want to use that because it would like, it would like shatter the rock too much. You you, yeah. you want to very carefully put up uh, uh, what the pitons that those things are called. Yeah. C- carefully put it in so that it's like. Forming like a seal with the rock, right? You don't want any like extra spacer to wiggle around. Yeah. You put a bolt gun; it's just going like, to create this huge crack in the well, wall. And I honestly, I'm like, oh man, he, I, I'm thinking '90s action movie. He's yeah. going to kill like five guys with this thing. It took forever. I'm, it was basically another mill house. I'm like, when is he going to use this thing? And when he does, it's disappointing because it's, it's not like totally done in a, disappointing. It's not done in a cool way. And there was another moment too. I, I have it later on. I'll move it up. They've got some point where he's climbing up somewhere because that's all he basically does. He's got these boots with these giant spikes i'm like oh he's gonna get some guy with those yeah. those never come back i'm like come on yeah this is a movie that does not take advantage of its premise the in, gear, in any meaningful it way did, no it did not take advantage of the gear in any way shape or form yeah if this was an arnold movie i guarantee you there would have been two different one-liners with a bolt gun and each one would have had a different way that guy got killed with a bolt gun. He's got that climbing pickaxe. He would have used that. Yeah. All this stuff. Well, it's funny. Uh, I've a bone to pick with you. I mean, seriously, like, <laughs> yeah. so, I mean, that's off the fly. There's something better. But you know there's something there. Take your, uh, take your pick. <laughs> take your pick. Get an axe to grind. Something, <laughs> something along those lines. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What's funny is I saw in the trivia that this movie was originally rated NC-17 for violence, and they had to cut stuff out. It's like, what? It, this feels like a movie that... It, this was barely... This was almost PG. Yeah. Yeah, I was very shocked to see that. I, I don't know what moments they had to cut back. Wow, but yeah, I agree that all, so many things you can do with this premise, and mostly it's just like it's running and jumping. Yeah, and you know whatever it's the the movie was conceived of by I forget I forget the guy's name, but it was like you know this credit say based on an idea by so and so. It was like, but it was like some guy who was way into mountain climbing was just like there should be a Die hard on a mountain about Die hard on a mountain. Mountain climbers save the day. You know, like it was just some guy who who was a mountain <laughs> climber who thought it would be a cool idea to do a movie like that. I like if that's what he gets credit for. His idea was, I like mountain climbing. How about Die Hard on a mountain? I think it was one of those things where it's like they wrote cliffhanger. Some guy was like, I had this same idea because I'm a mountain climber, and of course you had this idea. <laughs> I'm sure a hundred people, but it was like, let's just 
pay him and give him the credits and really, get, make him go away. I really like bowling. How about Die Hard in a bowling alley? <laughs> right. I would say in a hockey stadium, but th- sudden death with Jean-Claude oh, Van sure. Damme exists. Oh, yeah. No, it definitely does. There's plenty of <laughs> Die Hards in a blank uh, movies out there. All right, so, uh, I, I thank you. I, I wanted to uh, I wanted to make sure that I, I covered that bolt con because I was so frustrated by its lack of uh, it's underuse. I didn't even realize that was that bolt gun. I went like I was watching, going like, when did he get a gun? And did that gun fired underwater or gunpowder? Yeah, I didn't realize it was the bolt gun, but yeah, that that makes sense. Um, the only the so we'll just talk about it now because the only kill that takes advantage of the premise. The only one that is satisfyingly, oh, here's a thing you can do in a mountain, is when he he picks the guy up and stabs him with the stalactite. He impa- impales, impales him. him with the stalactite. Yeah. That's the only one. That's the only kill where it's like, okay, that's a pretty good kill. Yes. If you're going to do a movie about this. Yeah, they used it. But even that, again, in an Arnold movie, you know there would have been a great zinger and just in a slow sure. movie, you don't get it. Yeah. What would it be? Go to hang tight. There's uh, the stalactite. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Stalactite's a tough word to pun off of. It is, but somehow with Arnold, it would be really funny. You would have found a way. All right, so I, I want to call attention to the acting and the the reaction to a flare being put in front of night vision goggles. Yes. All right, why don't you go ahead? I, well, I, I think that is something that would it would it would work where it would like wash out. You couldn't see anything. Oh no, yeah, it would. But that guy's it, the <laughs> actor's reaction. It's like hydrofluoric acid yeah, was thrown at him. He acts like he's been blinded. He's like, ah! <laughs> it's like it doesn't it doesn't make the display in there brighter. It just makes it all white. It would just be a white screen, but it's not like it well, wouldn't be so bright that it would blind him. No, I I think that it does work because I think the way night vision works is it takes existing like light and amplifies the light. So it takes the minimal well, sure. light that you have. So I think a bright light would make it where it, it might be blinding. But what I'm saying is I don't think it's the point. The guy's reaction isn't like he's blinded. It's like his face is on fire. Yeah, well, later, while they're sliding down the mountain and <laughs> someone rubs his face in the snow, it causes huge gouges. So I mean, this guy is just super fragile. This guy is he's, this. He's Mr. Glass. He's Mr. Glass, yeah. <laughs> he's Mr. Glass. But it's not his bones. It's his eyes and skin. It's all his soft tissue. That <laughs> Can is... we just talk about how absurdly stupid and funny that mountain slide <laughs> <No>. sequence was? <laughs> yeah. They were sliding for what felt like 45 seconds yeah. a minute. I mean, <laughs> his face. Written by people who have never been in the snow because it's like there's no like rock. It's just snow. And Stallone's holding his face to the snow as they slide, like, oh, this will this will injure you. It's like how the snow is very soft. He comes up like he, he's Freddy Krueger. He does. I mean, you would get like that was one of you my- get like you know burn like a like a freezer burn or whatever. I'm his so- face would have been red and like puffy at most. <laughs> that deep gouges in his face. Uh, that sequence was uh, just the right of absurd. It was one of my most favorite parts of the movie. <laughs> it's the shot of. They're sliding down the mountain, but the camera is sliding with them perfectly to the point where it's obvious that they're not moving at all. They're sliding something underneath them. Because like nothing, nothing in the frame is moving except the mountain is passing beneath them. But they're so stock still. But it's like if you were actually sliding down the mountain, there would be your camera would be shaking around a little bit. <laughs> Just shake the camera a little bit. It's perfectly still. It's so obvious that they, nothing is moving except someone sliding like a thing underneath their faces. You know, someone with like a carpet being like, this is snow, a white carpet. You're, and your face is about to get ground yeah. up. All right, uh, what else have you got? 
Um, a special effects detail that I thought was very effective until suddenly it wasn't, which is when the plane is going down, they filmed, the, you know, this is pre-CG, so they had to film real f- footage, and they filmed the plane flying over a mountain, and what they did is they added a shadow underneath the plane to make it look like it was closer to the surface than it was, and it works really well, because I think the plane was actually flying, like, you know, whatever, way, you know, safe enough above so that it's not actually close to hitting anything, but they drew in a little, a little shadow. So it looks like, you know, the shadow's close, which means, oh, it must be close yeah. to the ground. Really good trick until the plane keeps going down and it keeps getting closer and closer and closer to the shadow. And right at the end of the shot for like, I don't know, like eight frames, the shadow is on top of the plane. Like they just kept oh. drawing it too long. <laughs> and now that now this plane is casting a shadow onto itself. It's amazing. I and missed that. Yeah, it's that it's once day. I noticed it, it was like that's that's distracting. But so <sighs> now now you can spot it next time you watch this movie. Otherwise, the plane crash sequence worked pretty well. The effects yeah. and it was all she, uh, that 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 girl managed to find a flat, <laughs> a flat area of this mountain that she could land on. It's like it, the it was a, a perfect sp- yeah, she, spot. Yeah, she found that perfectly flat spot. But whatever. Uh, all right, I've got a few of Lithgow's lines, but really, I think the one that I want to highlight that's probably my favorite. It's I think the delivery's poor, but it's poor in a fun way. Damn you, Walker! <laughs> He must say Walker, and I wish I got remember. We can remember Hal's last name, but he says their last names a lot. He he very he took the time to learn their names. He did, even though he was just going to have them murdered almost yeah. immediately. The two guys he just met in the mountain. He just needs them. What does he care what their names are? It, it, it's near the end in particular. Was that near the end? Where it's damn I, you, Walker? I, I think it is. It. Because it's when he I learns... I think it's when he chucks the money, actually, up into the... Oh, like, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. His, his damn you walker is one that was almost, like, soundboard worthy. Well, because, like, just before he decides to get in that helicopter, I think it's when he learns that um, Travers has died. And they both... Both uh, Gabe and Hal... I wish I could remember Hal's last name, because back-to-back, Quaylen's like... Walker, congratulations on surviving. And then it's like, then he throws it to Hal and it's like, so and so, I can't believe you made it. It's like, this is basically, you're just saying the same, the same thing same again. Thing, just a different guy yeah, with a different he, line. He is, he spends this whole movie just being exasperated about everything. Like, I can't believe that you're foiling my plan. It's like, maybe some self examination is in order, Quaylen. Like, maybe your plan isn't so good if it's so easily foiled. Well, in, in fairness, it is not Quaylen's plan because he definitely, well, no. he, he takes. Travers to the woodshed that it's his idiotic plan that is just unraveled yeah yeah that's the other thing is this Tucker it's sorry I had to look it up it's it's T- Hal Tucker 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 and, and Walker, Gabe Walker. Yeah. yes it's almost like Tango and Cash Tucker and Walker but it, Walker and Tucker that's what makes it funnier is because their names are so similar Walker congratulations on surviving Tucker you I can't believe you did it too <laughs> it's so Damn you Walker it's so funny but yeah that's the other thing that makes this group seem so incompetent is they're always sniping at each other and it's like this is your fault this is your fault the fight's not the, here the fight's, fight's out, out there. there well it's actually not really out there either Quaylen's a bad thief he's a bad leader really he's a bad negotiator <laughs> anyway um right. I, I left off with the special effects I think Okay, go. Uh, yeah, I've got. I've only got a few more. So, well, speaking of effects, I have a very bad special effect, and it's when uh, Beavis and Butthead. We see them uh, uh, jumping off the mountain. To, uh, what do they call? I, I said it earlier. Uh, base jumping. jumping. Um, where the actors are clearly on a sound stage, where you can only see like five feet below them. It's like, all right, let's go, and they just jump and <laughs> just go right out out of frame, down out of frame. They're clearly just landing on a pad, and then cut two guys like a thousand feet in the air. <laughs> they didn't. You know, base jumping, you're falling for like five seconds, then you better pull your damn parachute. These guys are just like, yeah, watch me, I'm going to do a flip, they're falling forever. 
They teleported up into the sky. No, but the shot of them jumping, I just found so fun. It's just like camera locked off static. They jump down out of. Fr- it reminded me of the shot in Seinfeld where Kramer jumps into the East River when he's swimming. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? And then some guy off screen is just throwing a bucket of water up into the frame. That's, that's what it reminded me of. That's awesome. All right. Um, I really wanted to talk about <laughs> the ladder on the side of that mountain is one of the great feats. <laughs> of engineering. Of engineering. Some old mining company built this ladder at the peak of this one. What are they mining? Why bother going no, that high? But the fact that it holds a helicopter. <laughs> sure. <laughs> th- that is when I'm. I, this movie, like, mo- it moved up a level in terms of my enjoyment. Well, it when, held it for a while. I know, but the fact. <laughs> at first, the thing is just peeling off, and then Stallone's like, oh my God, what's going to happen? But then the real bolts kick in, and then it can support the right. weight of a helicopter. <laughs> when they built that ladder in the 1930s or whatever. It's like th- these t- these bolts at the bottom. We better make sure these hold. They, they ran out. Of, they ran out of the good bolts halfway That's up. What it is. Yeah, the you know the low bid contractor. They could only afford so many really good bolts. I I could not stop laughing at the premise for the final action sequence. <laughs> yeah, is on a ladder on the side of it. It's not them fighting on the ladder. All right, yeah, I, I, right. It's a helicopter is f- hanging off of the ladder. Well, they're, ha- they're fighting on the belly of a helicopter that is hanging on the ladder, right, so that's, that's close. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It, it is ridiculous. Well, the most ridiculous part is when the helicopter's trying to fly away, and it's, it's stuck to the ladder, and Stallone's just hanging on, like, just like flopping around on this ladder. Well, is that more or less ridiculous than my next note, which is, Hal shows up with a shotgun. He fires the shotgun, but the distance he's at, he's like 300 feet, because he's he's where jesse is right and jesse was way far away from the ladder and somehow the shotgun it hits the helicopter I'm like this is ridiculous it's well, not even no only only a couple of those like buck pellets gotta hit something to do no. some damage and that distance, you don't need to do a lot of damage at that distance it wouldn't hit the helicopter at all at that distance it would not well, hit it, might, it might hit and just bounce off because it's you know no it wouldn't hit it at all really too, okay. no all and right, he's fine. like fired like he's doing something like hal you are accomplishing nothing right now well he wanted to contribute i mean at the end of the day hal does not help in the slightest in that end scenario he like is gone like where even did he go well he was he was fighting the the footballer no but i think this is after him and gabe Oh, team up! They do. And it's team like up. we've got the money. We got to trade because now at the, at the end, right. at the end, he doing? at the end, uh, um, um, he's got the the bad guy's got uh, what's her name, Jesse, yes. and they're going to trade the money for her. I I got a and Quaylen, I have a question on that. Yeah, Quaylen holds up his end of the bar. We, we should talk about it later. Boy, who's we, the who's the bad guy here? Quaylen's the one who's the honorable <laughs> one. <laughs> yeah, damn it. You want to talk about somebody having no case? Gabe Walker has no case. Yeah, absolutely. He literally walked away from a con- He made a verbal yes, contract. Absolutely. And he completely undermined and, that contract. And Quaylen, in good faith, was the first one to... to- right? He exchanged... He didn't do a typical ransom exchange where you hand the money and, you know, right. what the, you're the hostage at the same time. He put the hostage down and then Walker. He's actually now that we're talking this through, it's just he, out of spite too. What does Walker care? <laughs> Let him have the money. Who cares? I think Quaylen, damn you, Walker. He probably should have been an F you, Walker. Yeah. Actually, he really got jammed. Yeah, totally spiteful. What? What do you care? 
damn you're, you're you. You're not. Walker. You obviously don't need care about the money. So just throw, it's not your money. Jesse, if you saved. give him the money, he will go away, <laughs> and the threat will be gone. I know you're not supposed to negotiate with terrorists, but it's not your money. But you already negotiated with them. Yeah, right, exactly. he, yeah. he lived up to this. And he actually proved to be a trustworthy terrorist. No, they, it should be negotiate with terrorists and then totally back. You know, like do when, not hold up your end of the bargain. You get what you want. Just screw them. Yeah. All right, sorry. I uh, okay. I, we just jumped to the end, but I, I have other things that are not uh, ending stuff. Um, mostly, I want. Can we talk about the? We talked a little bit about like the the relationships in this movie and how they don't matter. But even though they don't matter, I want to dig into them a little bit because um, Gabe comes back. He's been gone eight months because of the tragedy. He comes back and he, he's there to ask Jesse to come with him to Denver, right? So like, yes. I got this job in Denver I want you to come with, which seems like a conversation you could have on the phone. Um, just to show up at her house like, oh, I'm here to take you away. Like, I'm not, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't in, consult well, with you first. Well, I, I just arrived and I expected you to come with me. In, that is fair, but the reason why it wasn't just a phone call is he, he was at least picking up like stuff that he left behind. Yes, so he that's did, also true. He had a reason to go in person, but to not call ahead and say, I'd like you, you know, to like pack up and come with me doesn't really make sense. But the dynamic is weird because she's like, why are you beating yourself about, up about this? Like, it's not your fault. Right, that's you're, you're like, hoarding all the guilt, or you're, something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But then there's this this fake tragedy regarding the insulin, and oh, you know, uh, Hal's going up, and he needs help. And she, she's like really angry at him, like, "How could you not? You know, you're, you know." He's like, "Oh, you just lose the feel. I haven't climbed in eight months." She goes, "You mean you've lost the nerve?" It's like for just. Your last conversation, you were telling him how you shouldn't feel guilty, and now it's the exact You're opposite. And I'm fixed. Yes, I'm just like how you know, giving him a guilt trip one conversation after telling him that he shouldn't feel any guilt. <laughs> so that didn't make any sense to me. Oh, and then when Hal and Gabe meet up on the mountain, it's been established that Gabe has been gone for eight months because all the guilt <laughs> he feels. And then this conversation, I wrote down some of the dialogue where this is the first time, and presumably they're seeing they're seeing each other in eight months. And um, Hal's not happy to see him for obvious reasons. This is the man who who let his his girlfriend or whatever die. None of these none of these romantic relationships seem all that serious. It's not their wives. It feels it all feels like none of it feels like they've been dating for that long. But whatever. well, I don't know. I kind of got the vibe that Walker and and Jesse had been dating a long time. But maybe whatever. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Well. Whatever. It's not not that important. But anyway, um, so they start yelling, and Gabe starts going like. The, you know, like you shouldn't have gone out on the lines. Like there wasn't time to do anything else, and he starts defending himself. It's like, does he blame himself or not? Because suddenly he's defending himself, and then, and then Gabe says, at some point he goes, "Look, Hal, it was a bad time for everybody." <laughs> Just the, I'm like, you could not say a more horrible thing. Look, Hal, it was a bad time for everybody. I know you lost this the woman you love, but I suffered too. Well, I'm watching this going like, which is it? Does he feel guilty or does he feel totally blameless? To say, to say that, that's like the most heartless thing he could have said. I like, too, the the particular choice because it makes it seem like, I don't know, it was like the Great Depression or something, right? You know, that, <laughs> right. that like everybody was looking for work or something. It was, it was a, a bad, bad time. time. Yeah, it wasn't a time. It was a split-second tragedy that happened. That period of time where, where Susan was falling through the air to her death, that was a bad time for everybody. <laughs> you're right that's a weird way to put it i didn't think about that the way he phrases it all right so my my last one because we've actually covered some of my other ones feel free don't we don't have to end early but my last one is i just want to note 
when Zeus Paul Winfield finally shows up at the at the very end, of course, because that's what a Zeus of a movie does. Yes, he's got to give his final stamp of approval. <laughs> yeah, and he says, "Please identify yourself, right?" And they say, uh, "Well, if you're," we, they say who they are. This is Rocky Mountain Rescue. If you're looking for Quaylen. I have the same note. Yeah. He's four thousand feet south of him. He's that's not how I know. Like, works. All right, we'll turn. He'll turn three quarters of a mile south, and we'll find him there. No, no, it was kind of a metaphor. It was, I was just, I, I was, uh, I was using south to indicate down. Yeah. <laughs> Like these guys are on the Rocky Mountain Rescue Team, right. and they're talking about elevation, like it's direction. Yes, <laughs> I nearly pissed my pants. I can't think. Yeah, you don't want to use a euphemism. These guys would be very precise in their language, given the, their job. Yeah, they would know how to describe they would down. Never mistake elevation for no. direction. Four thousand feet south. Four thousand feet south of here. It was the writer thinking, "This is a great line." Oh, I know why it's what in a, there. What a clever thing they're saying but yeah i, I want i, I want to envision your scenario too where the helicopter pilot just turn. all right hold on we gotta turn four thousand feet here we come it's like the next peak over yes and I they're looking around i don't understand where's quailing yeah i also had that note <laughs> all right well last a couple a couple of uh of um don't in early on my account either. well I've, we I've, just... I've got one other note about the ending so i'll do that one now which is the, the uh, Quaylen falling and the crash zoom onto Lithgow's face as he falls to his death was comically bad. I just, he was like, blah, and then zoom in on his face as he hits the ground. Yes. And I actually, the explosion kind of reminded me of a Toots is the Cat like yes. SNL explosion, too. This whole thing is like out of a spoof. It feels like it was out of Hot Shots Part 2. Maybe, maybe they got the film mixed up. They came out at the same time. <laughs> Oh, we, we accidentally used that footage from Hot Maybe Shots Part Tyler 2. Tyler Durden, like, spliced in yeah. from Hot Shots into... It feels like that. It feels like a shot of Saddam Hussein being shot with a chicken. And I can smash zoom <laughs> on his face as he's being shot with a, with a chicken arrow. Is that what happens in Hot Shots? I don't remember what happens in Hot Shots Part 2. Other than uh, it's not Saddam, but no, it is definitely one of the bad guys. Yeah. Uh, he, he runs out of arrows and he finds the chicken and he absolutely okay. shoots the chicken through the guy's chest. The shot of the POV shot of the chicken uh, zooming in on the guy's face. <laughs> that's, what, that's what this felt like, this shot of Lithgow. Um, okay, and then my last note is, I'm surprised you didn't bring this up because I, it, I found it very noteworthy. There's a point, we kind of skipped over it where Quaylen's like... You, Walker, you go up. It's the first case that they're going to find. And it's like, you go up and climb and get this case. We're going to tie this rope around your ankle because... You, you fetch. You stay. Yeah, you fetch. It's like, we're going to tie this rope around your ankle because clearly nobody could untie a knot. <laughs> He'll never escape this rope. We tied around his ankle. But maybe you didn't notice. Quaylen, uh, not Quaylen. Walker's wearing a hat. And to prepare oh. for climbing, turns I the hat around. <sighs> I 100% did the first time through watching the movie, and I forgot to put it in my notes the yeah. second time through. Turns I, the hat around to prepare it, for the climb. It's just, clear that it's time to go to work once the hat gets turned around. Yes, just like arm wrestling competitions. Arm wrestling competitions and climbing. Anything where you have to grip something. I think that's what it is. That's, that's the commonality between the two, is that turning your hat backwards gives you a better grip on things. That must be it. I love Kenny Loggins. Thank you for working in another Kenny Loggins. I couldn't, you, I couldn't forget that one. Are you ready for uh, are you ready for the Devil's Advocate? I am. Yes. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. And I want to have them answered immediately. 
All right, The Devil's Advocate, this is a segment of the show where we have created questions from our viewing of the movie that we ask each other, and the other tries to answer them as best they can. We did a, we did a little early preview on moving a couple of questions up, and, and that's how this segment works. Yeah, well, I had a lot of questions because this movie was uh, somewhat questionable, I think so. Yes. Um, I, I'm going to let you go first because some of my first ones I've already burned with my Roy Nord questions sure. that I moved up, so I'll let you go first. All right. Uh, my first question is this. The, the villain's original plan, Quaylen's plan, or maybe Travers' plan, I guess it was Travers' plan, yeah. was just to transfer the money from one plane to another across a line. Like yes. They send the money across, and because things go badly, it falls, and they have to go down to the mountain, or they crash into the mountain, they have to fetch it. What do you need ten armed goons for, if that's your plan? Why did they bring ten armed, or I don't know how many, but like seven, yes. six or seven yeah. armed goons with night vision goggles and C4, the works, guns, what do you need all those guys for? You're going to split this money with all these guys who, if things had gone according to plan, would have done nothing. All you needed was a pilot. You needed the pilot. You needed Travers, the inside guy. You needed the second pilot to pilot the other plane, and presumably a co-pilot. And you need Quaylen to move the money because it's, it's it can only be transferred in certain places. He's got the connections. All right. So that's all you need. Y- you're right. That's all you need. The only reason I can envision why he had some. Now, it still doesn't justify the number of goons, is that... He doesn't necessarily, as it plays on the movie, he didn't trust Travers, right? And Travers doesn't really trust him. Right. So I can see him needing at least some muscle and not just the pilots. But the, the C4, you've got me. I'm not sure I can come up with a reason why he's got C4 with him. Yeah, what was the backup plan that needed the C4? They couldn't have foreseen having to blow up a huge chunk of mountain that they have to crash onto. I mean, they were planning to blow up the one plane because it's basically the Hans Gruber, right? That the plane's blown up, so before anybody figures out, right? You know what happened? We'll be sitting on a beach, earning earning twelve percent. Yes, uh, but that's a different explosive. No, it is, and it, it, yeah. it, right. And so I, I, I don't think I can explain the C four. I can explain why they've got he's got goons. I can't explain the number of goons, and I can't explain the C four and the night vision goggles. Also, why'd you bring those along? Okay, so I guess we're going to use this button for the first time. If you can't, you officially cannot answer my question. Go for it. No case. We've got no case. The problem with that clip is there's a lot of music going on, so I'm not sure. We'll we'll, we'll try it out. Maybe it'll uh, fall by the wayside. I just love the idea of we've got no case. All right, so my first question. Mm -hmm. Okay, towards actually at the the very beginning, at the start, after we we find out that uh, they need insulin. You've got Hal, who's going going up to do the rescue. Jesse sees Gabe, has that conversation where you know she she lays the guilt on him after saying that you know he shouldn't hoard all the guilt. Right. She says, "You can take whatever path, and you can meet him up there." My question for you is, why didn't Hal just take that path? <laughs> I, I I have an answer for this because I, I think because later when he says, "Oh, only so many people can climb that 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 cliff," I took it to mean. Um, that Hal is saying that Gabe is one of those people and that Hal is not. That Gabe is just a better climber and he can take paths that Hal okay. cannot take. That's a pretty good explanation. I, I'll buy that. I'll yeah, buy that. I, I, I assumed that's what he meant when he... I, I didn't the think seven, he was talking about himself. I just think he was saying, like, I, I can't even make that climb. So yeah, you, so you, you jokers, idiots, yeah, good luck. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I, I buy that for that face. I'm not sure the climb is the same of this shortcut, but I, I'll... I, I, that's a plausible explanation of why whatever the shortcut route is, Hal can't do it. Yeah, I, well, and Stallone's the star of the movie, so I yeah. think you have to assume he's a better climber because 
Because <laughs> zero. If anything, Stallone would insist on that. Yeah. I gotta be the better climb. <laughs> of course. Whatever. In this period of his career, his, his ego was not so bad, so maybe I'm being unfair. All right. All right. What's your next question? Hopefully, I won't need um, Diane Lane yet again. I won't need Judge Hershey on this next one. Okay. Well, let's talk about the, the Zeus briefing, uh, as you call it. Uh, we learn about Quaylen and all his background and stuff. Paul Winfield gets a briefing. We learn that he's former military intelligence. And he found it more profitable to go over to the other side, it says. Yes. So this guy says. It's 1993. What other side? What? It doesn't seem like he's on a side. What are they He's mean? not. So I, I think what's meant by that is that the other side is mercenaries. Basically, that oh, okay. he's not working for a government. He's working for himself. It's like and, a... It's like a metaphorical he went over yes. to the dark side it, it's he's, not yeah, there's okay. not it's not specter necessarily sure. but no it's that he's gone over to the dark side and as we know from the rock when you become mercenaries get mercenaries get paid yes. so i think that's what is meant by that line but i understand why you bring it up as a question okay the way it was phrased as if it was like a cold war yeah that, the other side. exactly that you you went to the soviets or something but no i i yeah. think what it, what is really intended is that he's working for himself. He's a mercenary, and okay. he's, he's basically a gun for hire. Sure, okay. All right. Um, so I, we already talked about Jesse's radio and that the cold killed it. Yes. Let's get let's get down to brass tacks. So you're talking about the hero of the movie, and he's certainly got hero skills. Can you explain to me how does Gabe find the money from that second case? He has no GPS device at all. The oh. o- only thing that he's had, he does know like what peak it would be on because you have to assume he has like a photographic memory too, and he remembers exactly. How yeah. in the hell does he find that case of money without a GPS? He and saw I, that screen for like a half a second. Yes, so. and I, I'm saying this by the way. I have in my note as a person whose hobby it is to use a GPS device to go find much larger objects in a much smaller search area. I can tell you. Yeah. It is damn, and there's not snow most of the time when I'm out geocaching. Oh yeah, because the ones his, we see are, are buried in snow, yes, presumably his, from that storm. His skill is amazing. He can find, and he finds the third case, the third case too. Yeah, my note was second case, but he does the same thing. He finds two cases with no GPS. I think we're supposed to believe that he memorized the locations based on seeing that screen for one second. But, but even, I, you're right. But even this, hold on, even if he memorized the location, the location would give you like I, I, like I'm. My GPS device, if I'm far enough away, it'll say it's within like hundreds of feet, if not like a quarter mile. Yeah. He's on a mountain with the snow and he's finding the cases. This movie makes it seem like mountains are tiny little things. Yes. It's a mountain. I yeah. No, I, I don't have an answer for it. No case. <laughs> All right. What's your next question? Uh, what is my next question? Okay. Let's, let's deal with this. Speaking of the cases. We have no case. It's, it turns out we didn't know we were creating a pun here. Because, yeah, the, 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 villains, the villains have no case. They don't. They've got to go find them. Yes. These cases, we see at the beginning of the movie that it takes two, two individual people have separate keys to lock these cases, to lock the money up. Yes. And then all three of them are opened by smashing them with rocks. My question is... My question... <laughs> My question is: This whoever makes the locks for these cases is this a the, a lowest bidder situation? The <laughs> government contractor that was so. My only thought was going to be it was a it was a government contract, <laughs> yeah. low bid, and they got what they paid for. Oh yeah, 
You've got all this security that it takes. Well, you've got to both turn your key. Exactly. But all you got to do is smash it hard. None of them have any trouble getting into these cases. Smash it with a rock and it opens right up. That is a great observation. <laughs> they go to so much trouble at the beginning to show these two guys, oh, we both need to enter the key. And now, no, all these cases are locked. No one can get into it, presumably, until it reaches the destination where two more people with similar the keys. The same keys. Yeah. All the security <laughs> to protect this money. Just smash it. It kind of reminds me, actually, of, I don't know why, but Arrested Development in the Aztec tomb, that it's just, it's this illusion, uh, if the, the dogs weren't fooled at all about it, there's a little <laughs> rotating panel behind, all it takes is a giant rock to smash this thing yeah. open. You got, it looks really pretty, but all it does, yeah, you just get a rock, this thing pops right open. Uh, just, whoever that contractor is, they just assumed no one would ever test it. It's like, look, they'll just rubber well, stamp this. Right, it's bureaucracy. Or, yeah, and it looks, I mean, on the outside, it looks very sophisticated. So right. who would even think to try and use a rock to smash this up? We put our keys in and the red light lit up, so that must mean it's locked. That, that light went on. <laughs> so their case closed. Okay, you came to the same conclusion as me, so I'm yes. going to consider that answered. Yes. All right, all right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk a little bit more uh, about equipment. I'd like to know... So at some point, I don't remember the goon's name, but the night vision guy, he's using night vision goggles to right. track Jesse and Walker. My question to you is, they're on a mountain where nobody else is. What does he need night vision for? You're going to have giant footprints of snow because there's nobody else up there. I know. So can you tell me, what is the night vision needed for at all? I had that same thought when they... The second case, uh, uh, Walker and uh, Jesse build like, a snowman to taunt the bad guys, and, you, and it pans down to the case, showing that it's empty, and there's no footprints around. It's like, boy, they really must have covered their tracks. But when they're being chased by a night vision guy, they don't have time to cover their tracks. So yeah, you're absolutely right. I think this movie is written by people who have never been in the snow before. <laughs> Honestly. Because they don't know it doesn't rip off skin? Yeah, oh, all kinds of things. They don't know that it's cold. They've got Stallone in like, a tank top half this movie. I gotta get my physique on screen. I don't care. You know, find some excuse. We're gonna well, hold your jacket hostage. They make a big deal of actually about the jacket, and then he just busts in, busts open the thing, and he gets like a fleece like I'm wearing, and he's fine the rest of the movie. I can tell you, I've been out not for hours at a time, but I've been out for like, you know, an hour on my hobby, and if I only have a fleece on, I'm not. It's cold, man. Yeah. And I'm certainly not getting wet. It would be sopping wet and unbelievably cold. At the end of the movie, when he's under the water, he's tra- he's under the ice, and he takes his shirt off for some reason before he kills uh, because Travers. He's, because he's Stallone. Yeah, Stallone needs to get his... I mean, you know, whatever. <laughs> They're going to find some excuse. But anyway, no, I don't have uh, okay. an answer to that question. No case. Man, we're just racking them up here. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the track record has probably always been like this. We probably answer 40 to 50% of these questions because... Most of the time, the movie uh, is not presenting uh, no, a world not. that is, is plausible that's or why, easily answerable. That's why this is probably my most favorite segment. And my next question I'm really going to enjoy. So what's, what's next for me? Okay. So when they find that second case and they mock them, by leave, leave, they leave one bill. I, I called it Frosty the Doman, by the way. Okay. <laughs> sure, okay. I like that. Frosty the Doman. That's Dome a very man. good pun. I like that. So he's like, they find the money. He's like, you got a pencil? Because they're going to write this mocking thing. But it's a Sharpie and not a pencil, by the way. It definitely is not a pencil, but she has a pencil. She has some kind of writing implement. Yeah. She didn't know they were bad. Why did she bring a pencil to this rescue operation? I guess maybe uh, it's just something you have just in case. I, so I'm, I'm, What is a pencil? So here's the thing. I am going to say because of my hobby of geocaching, I'm always out with my bag that's got my GPS, 
and you know some actual supplies to kind of fix the caches. And because that hobby actually also requires you signing paper logs, I have a pen. But the point is, is that when I'm out, I've got a bag, it's flashlight, a whole okay. bunch of stuff. So I'm going to say actually a writing utensil because you might need to write down somebody's coordinates, although GPS wasn't as it wasn't open back in 93. I think it's plausible she would have a pen as kind of part of her normal gear. Okay, I'll buy I, that. All right. So here's my question. next question for you. So in this universe, we've established that you're sliding down a mountain at high speed yeah. Rips off skin. Yes. Can you explain why it does not also rip off clothes? <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> the very are... resilient cl- uh, jacket compared to his face. No, I think what I said earlier is is the truth. He's he's a he's the equivalent of Mr. Glass, but for soft tissue. <laughs> he's not. It's not actually strong enough of a of a friction to rip his clothes but his skin is so fragile okay you know? i'm gonna buy that because my question was gonna be because it should have affected both stallone's clothes as well as his right but it doesn't affect stallone's skin so you're well, right but it, to be fair a, stallone it, is pushing the bad guy's face into the snow as they slide which is supposed to be why the guy's face is being ripped up okay but no, it, I, he, i'll buy it he's mr glass he's he's a, yeah he didn't get into this this was the night vision guy right Yes. So he's he's a guy he, who he really got it bad. Yeah. Well, he's he has his night vision gear because he wants to sneak up on people. He's not ready for a fight. He's not someone who wants to fight anybody. He wants to sneak up on you and kill you because while you're not he's looking. He's got the skin condition. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. He's, okay. he's very fragile. I'm, I I like it. I accept. Uh, okay. This is my last question. Oh man. Okay. Um, at the end of this movie, Paul Winfield has to explain to his bosses why a hundred million dollars has disappeared. <laughs> Is Paul Winfield going to put Gabe Walker in prison for destruction of legal tender? Gabe Walker destroyed $100 million. He did. Willfully, he didn't need to. I mean, literally, he had an Arnold line. It costs a fortune to eat this place. I mean, <laughs> yeah. he literally burned money. Yes. I mean, you, he could argue it was a matter of life and death in that case. <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure. You, it's, you could have paced out the money a little bit more. He's just throwing, he's chucking. All right, so here's, here's going to be my answer. I I think ultimately Paul Winfield doesn't immediately bring charges or arrest him, but I don't think that they're going to immediate they're going to necessarily buy that the money is destroyed, and I think that Gabe Walker is going to be under heavy scrutiny. Now that said, like yes. sp- you can't spend the thousand dollar bill. That's part of the problem. It's like kind of even if he did steal it, what would he do with it? Right. But I do think he would probably be under heavy surveillance. That they don't necessarily buy that all that money. Oh, got that's not even what I meant. I, I just assumed, yeah, because so so. I understand what you mean. Like he destroyed, he destroyed government property. Yeah, is he going to be in trouble for yeah. that? But you're right. That's that's also suspicious from because they don't know him. You burned all the money, <laughs> right? That's a great point. Because I mean, really, it could be like Fargo, right? That he goes out and he just buried some of right. it and stuck the ice scraper there, so he knew where to go get it. Well, a third of it got buried in an avalanche, so some of it's still out there, right? But so I, I all that money down. I don't think the I don't think there would be charges from the destruction of property, but I do think there would be a lot of suspicion <laughs> yes. on Tucker and Walker for a long period of time. Don't make any high dollar purchases, Walker, because exactly. that, <laughs> they'll come and take it and assume you bought it from some ill gotten gains. Exactly. Yeah. All right. It's oh. funny how this movie doesn't give us any coda or any epilogue of like, here's what happened after. It's just like they never even get down off the mountain. It's just oh, like credits. Did. This well, movie is over. They could have fallen and died for all. <laughs> right. We, know. we never see them. It's like, hey, now Gabe's back on the rescue team. They're, they're now they're mourning Frank. We never talked about Frank. The fact that he died. No one can. At the end, they're just like, we did it. We survived. It's like, hey, your friend died like an hour ago. 
You don't want to mourn him a little bit? He was ruthlessly <laughs> murdered. I mean, honestly, Fred. All right. Okay. You know what? I'm, I have a few others, but I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna end on this one. Okay. Are Frank's paintings worth more now that he's dead? Oh, undoubtedly, yes. <laughs> undoubtedly, yes. Are well, are they worth anything even with him being dead? Well, because I think especially now that there's, you know, an interesting story. He was murdered by thieves slash terrorists on a mountainside. You know, like, that's an interesting story. At least, you know, even if the art isn't good, which clearly it's not, um, <laughs> you know, you can, you've got a story to tell. Oh, the, the, the painter was killed by, by John Lithgow on a mountain. All right. All right. I'll buy that. I, I said I was going to do only one more, but I can't skip this one. No, by all means. I'm done, but you can keep going. All right. Can you answer me this? We get the end sequence. Quaylen is flying the helicopter because he's to become partners again with Travers. He's murdered poor Mrs. Schindler. Right. So he's because fl- now I'm the only one who can fly his out. Right. Of here, okay. Said. So he's partners again. So at the end, in the failed ransom exchange, where he completely gets screwed by Walker. Yes. But before then, to take his hostage, why does Jesse get in the helicopter? He's flying and is pointing a pistol at her from a helicopter. Why doesn't she just I run know. away? He's, yeah, the, the time that it would take him to land but, and but, like, okay, yeah. I want to ta- dovetail. <laughs> That's listen, a great I'm going to dovetail this into my other one. Then in the end, in the ransom exchange, can you explain to me why doesn't Quaylen just land the damn helicopter for the exchange? I know, throw it up into the helicopter. It's like even if he tried, to, like he, genuinely, he, he could very easily miss. Right? Can, I could not. Like, <laughs> you're going over, and you have like a flat area. I can understand, like if they had made it where everything was like a peak, and but yeah. they didn't. They made it so that there was a place for Jesse to say, be safely like viewing what was going on at the end. And they've established that this. Helicopter's running low on fuel because the, the female pilot's like, we shouldn't just fly around. We barely have yeah, enough to we, get off the mountain. We can't search for the money that way, right? Yeah. <laughs> he's just, I'm happy to hover here. He doesn't care about the fuel. I guess he's worried that that um, Walker will jump in and, like, punch okay. him or whatever. He doesn't okay, want to yeah. land it. I, I, I can see that as so that there's not, we've got no case. But at the same time, he's the only one with a gun. He also is assumed, I think he can assume, the only one with any military training so if anybody knows right. how to like handle himself, he's the, he clearly has the advantage in all aspects. Here. Uh, you would think land he, the helicopter, say put the money in the helicopter. I will let Jesse go. Yeah, you can't get screwed at the end. That's the way it would make sense to do it. But but uh, to be he, fair to Kalen, he's a terrible villain. He's really bad. He's just the most incompetent villain. Seriously, can you think of another in, uh, villain more incompetent? Off the top of my head, no. There's maybe that be some- guy in um um oh god, what's the name of the movie? The Border Town, Arnold Border Town. Oh, uh, oh, Last Stand. Last Stand. I actually I watched that the other day. I oh, okay. I, I enjoy that movie again. I, I, I seem another- to remember that plan of like I'm, I'm going to escape to Mexico with uh, I, I, I in seem a really rem- fast car. Yeah, I seem to remember that being a kind of a silly plan. But may- this seems worse. Oh, this is much worse. Yeah. Much, much worse and even more poorly executed. Hey, that guy's plan was working pretty... It, it was working well for sure. a while. Quaylen's plan... 455 out of the 460 miles it worked, yes, he until he got fine. to Arnoldstown. Until he got to Arnoldstown. Travers' plan, from the jump, it's a disaster. <laughs> yes, before our hero even encounters him, it's falling apart. <laughs> Seriously, might be the most incompetent villain in the history of films. Really? All right. Well, that but was... no. But I was gonna say to to be fair to him because you were saying, oh, he's military trained. What is he afraid of? 
of Walker for. But this whole movie, his team of trained terrorists, mercenaries, mercenaries are being completely bodied by these mountain climbers who have never fought anybody in their lives. So, right. you know, we've got, we've got You're history. Right, so I guess the recent history does not indicate that right. the training is working against the mountain men. Yeah, we are 0 and 9 in this. Com- well, <laughs> 1 and 9, they did kill Frank. <laughs> we're, we're one for nine in, co- in combat Poor scenarios. Frank. Frank. <laughs> I know. There he just no, wants to there, rescue people. Re- there was no reason to kill Frank. No. Well, they needed the helicopter, but he didn't need to kill Frank. Yet. They still could have got... She had the drop on him! I know. Was, One of them even says, he didn't need to do that, right? She did! Yeah, I was yeah. so mad. I'm like, why did you kill Frank? Yeah. It's just because this movie wanted to have some pathos of just like, oh no, Frank. Like, we mean, barely fr- know this guy. Frank saved the, the base jumper from wolves by firing <laughs> that gun. Fr- there was yeah. no reason to kill Frank. Yeah, he was just a friendly, goofy old guy who flies the helicopter. Who was in Cool Hand Luke. Oh, was he? Okay. Well, actually, he was in The Waltons is what that actor is, I think, most famous for. But he's, uh, I recognize him from Cool Hand Luke. He got a special credit. It was so-and-so as Frank. So I was like, he must be somebody that yeah, people Ralph, know. Ralph Waite. Okay. All right. Uh, so you ready for to move on to the Silk Cozart Corner? I am. Well, let's move on. Both of y'all. Yes. Y'all go back to what. So the Silk Cozart Internet Research Corner, where I take a deep dive into some piece of internet trivia where the movie made me curious about named in honor of Silk Kozar, the actor who passed away in Eraser. He wasn't passed away. He was murdered in Eraser. <laughs> I mean, it's not like he died in his sleep. <laughs> he did not die of natural causes. <laughs> no. Railgun is, is rail about as far from natural causes in terms of death um, as exists in movies. Yes, but it's in honor of him because we learned a lot about him in that episode. Yes. So, so you need to guess whether or not I did a Silk Kozar in this episode. I'm going to guess that you did not. You're incorrect. No. I did. Well, I never get these right. Well, I kind of did not because I, what I'm going to suggest is that we do a Silk Cozart segment together. Okay. Because I was curious about Die Hard in a Blank, Die Hard scenario <laughs> movies. This is a perfect this, movie for it. This, yes, this, this is the, one of the perfect examples of Die Hard on a Mountain. I mean, this is a trend in the 90s, Die Hard ripoffs, you know, Die Hard in a very specific place. So I wanted to go through them. First of all, I've got a list. This is based on some websites. I just found. I just searched for like the greatest diehard, you know, copycats, whatever. So I have a list here. I think we should go through them. Decide is this a true diehard scenario okay. movie or not? And then once we've put together our list, let's rank them. All right, let's do it. This is purely '90s. We're going to decide together. So I, I feel like this should be the criteria, in my opinion. You can disagree if you want, but. There needs to be bad guys, not 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 a uh, you know daylight, not daylight. Yeah, not a, it's bad guys take over an enclosed space, or some kind of like limited space. You know, you oh, know, a, a, mountain a, a mountain is pretty big, <laughs> but it's still it's it's a space. You yes. know what I mean? Like I, a, a defined yes. die hard. You, you can you can finish the it's, sentence die hard on a mountain. It's not a Bond movie where you're going from location exactly. to location. Yes, one location. And I am going to argue, the internet doesn't agree with me, but I think it's a requirement. Maybe you disagree. That the hero cannot be sent in to solve the problem. He has to be find Walk into himself. It. Walker into it. Yes. Well, he walks into it, but most of the time it's just like I'm here, and suddenly bad guys are taking over, yeah. and I guess it's up to me to stop. Oh yeah. They find themselves kind of by accident in this place, and they're I, the only ones who. Can... I agree with you because I mean, look, the gold standard is right, Die Hard, and that's it. John McClane. Gets in a limo, shows up, right. and, the, and the, it, he has not been sent there to solve the problem. One of the great villains of all time, Hans Gruber, his plan—he—it's it, not Quaylen's plan. It is a perfect plan. The only thing that it didn't contemplate was a security guard, right? Right. So if John McClane is doesn't just happen to be at the party, 
the plan goes according to uh, it goes forward. Right. It's not. It's not like the police were sent in and solved it. John. McClane it's not did. his I job to solve the problem. Yes. He just happens he to happened be to be there and was able to solve it. So I. He's agree trying with to get the police to handle. He doesn't. He want, absolutely. He doesn't want he's to, pulling fire alarms. Right. <laughs> he's doing everything he can. He doesn't want to be. So, so I think. Don't a certain, lady, am I trying? Sound like I'm trying to order a pizza? I. I think that's an important element. Is the reluctant hero is not. I, the only thing, the only reason I might resist is that it will, re, it does that does criteria does reject one of the f- ones that first come to my mind. Speed, yeah, yeah it's, it, it, it does that rejects speed. Well, let's go through them and we All can right. take them on a case by case basis whether or not they qualify. It's just hard for me to reject speed because so, it's so much fun. Again, I'm sticking to the '90s, so not not dealing with like you know White House Down and Skyscraper and some of the yes. latter day ones that we're not yeah. going to cover. We could go on forever if we were doing that. So okay, first the first one is Die Hard Two, 1990. I think this qualifies for sure. Oh, I well, yes, not just because it's namesake, but look, he's he happens to be at the airport because he's right. supposed to be picking up right. His like, well, like for instance, Holly Gennaro. Well, Di- I guess McLean, but right, but like Die Hard Three is not a Die Hard scenario. It's not Die Hard in a blank because it's too. Oh, yeah. it's it, it. Just because Die Hard Two is a Die Hard movie doesn't necessarily mean it That's qualifies. Fair. But I, I agree that it should. Uh, you're right because Die Hard Three is the one with uh, Samuel L. Jackson, right, and they're running right. all through New York. You're right. That is. It's that not is, an enclosed space, so no. although you know a mountain and where they go in New York probably isn't that much difference in terms of mileage. <laughs> That's true, but, yeah. But I, but I hear you. I hear you. No, so Die Hard Two, I would say for certain, Die Hard Two qualifies. Qualifies. Okay, we're adding it to the list. Next one is a, a movie we brought up recently on an episode, uh, but I have not seen it in forever, and I don't think you have either. Toy Soldiers, nineteen ninety one. Oh. I don't remember it well enough. It's so it's bad guys take over a boarding take over school, school. and the, the kids who are just the students there fight back. I, I have not seen it forever, but I so it'll be tough to rank. We'll probably be near the bottom because neither of us have seen it in a long time. I would say based on that description, I think that I, I think that would qualify. I also think that qualifies. So. The only the only thing though is that for it to be a diehard and and maybe cliffhanger would be rejected by this. Does it need to be one person that solves it? Because that's a, that's a group of people that solve it. Now, in fairness, even in Dyard, you got you got some help you from the outside. Yeah, and you got Argyle. Here you got Hal. So I don't think that needs to be a criteria. I don't that know. Needs I, yeah. to be the one person. I agree. I, I don't think it needs to be a criteria. It needs to be one person. Okay. All right. And, and for all we know, there is one character who is in the lead and who is the hero of Toy Soldier. I, yeah, I don't but, remember. But that is a much larger group than like you know. This at least was just two. Yeah. Main kind of heroes. But all right. All right. It's definitely. Yeah. Let's count it. Um. It'll just end up at the bottom of the list anyway because yeah. we haven't seen it forever. Okay. Next is Under Siege, nineteen ninety two. Die Hard on a Battleship. I think this definitely counts. Uh, and it has a much better villain than this does. Absolutely, Under Siege qualifies. Yes. One of the better. You know, Tommy Lee Jones is great in most things, but um, that was the movie I definitely remember. Like, like, who's this guy? This guy's awesome. I'd say he, was, he was the movie where I noticed Tommy Lee Jones. Um, okay, Passenger 57, 1992. <laughs> uh, based on my memory of Passenger 57, yes, it is. You're going to be shocked to learn I have never seen Passenger 57. Really? Yeah. You've never seen Always Bet on Black? I, I know that from the trailer. Yeah, that's, how can that's you not? I, yeah. Otherwise, I've, it's the only line I know from the movie. Yeah, no, my, my recollection, it's been a long time, but he, he's on the plane. He's not set. He, yeah, he's so. not an air I mean, air marshals didn't exist, but he's not an air marshal, right? So he, he, he wasn't sent on that plane as part of like a rescue squad. He just happens to be passenger 57. Exactly. He's passenger. Yeah. It wouldn't be called that if he was sent in. Yeah. He's, right. Yeah. So I would assume that. Yeah. Okay, we have Cliffhanger, which is obviously qualifies. We'll yes. add that. Um, 
Okay, next is speed. We can just talk about whether or not this qualifies. I could I could see an argument because yes, he is sent in to solve the problem, but at the end of the day, he's still just one of those people in there. Like they all kind of have to do it together, and he he is. But I I think if the criteria is that the hero he to be honest, he'd have to have already been on the bus, and he's not. He right. he's part of. You know the the bomb squad that is sent in to be the hero. So as much as it pains me, I think based on these criteria, I don't think it can qualify. Okay, I'm on the fence. The other thing that makes me think it maybe wouldn't qualify is because normally it's like Die Hard in a you know on a battleship. It's like the bad guys have taken over the battleship and the good guy is also on the battleship and he has to stop them. This is not really Die Hard on a bus in the sense that the bad guy is not on the bus. No, he's not. It's not like <laughs> he's got a camera that he's watching the bus. <laughs> right. but that's it. Yeah, I guess he doesn't have a presence on the bus, so you could argue that on a technicality, his presence is on the bus. But I, it, it, so, in fairness, I I don't I would not question anybody if you want shorthand for speed. It's die hard on a bus. I think that shorthand still works, but I think for this definition, I think we can't count speed. I don't think of speed as a die hard knockoff because huh. it feels very different to me. Okay, but me, since, I, I feel like it's die hard on a bus. But here's another question. Speed 2 Cruise Control. <laughs> this one, I think, is a diehard. I've only seen it once, so I barely remember it. They happen. It, it's is it's he, Jason is, Patrick. Jason Patrick, because Keanu didn't want to do it. Is, right. he's, he's just on the boat? They're just taking a cruise, and it gets taken over by Willem Dafoe. Willem just Dafoe so was the bad guy? Yeah. Oh, man. I, I wish that. I, I might need to see that again. No, I, you really don't. It's really bad. Is it? I really like Willem Dafoe. Is I tried watching it. Um, it was like free on Prime or something recently. I tried watching it. I got bored and turned it off. All right. No, based on your description, I don't remember it. It qualifies. I, I'm adding it because I think it, um, it's, it's, much, it's much more because they're just on a cruise. He's not there. Well, first of all, it's not Keanu's character. It's a different character who is almost identical. Is they that, just crossed off that character's name. Did and, somebody say pop quiz hot shot? Um, I don't think so. But no, there is a moment. There needs to be some connection, damn it. I think the connection is, remember the guy who uh, Keanu steals the car from to get to the bus? He's like, oh no, my car. It's like, Vaguely, I'm a cop. But yeah. That guy is in speed too, and he, his boat gets, <laughs> the exact same thing happens. I, <laughs> That's amazing. But the guy acts like you again, but it's not Keanu, it's Jason Patrick. So obviously they, they. I don't think they. I don't think he literally says you again. But the implication is just like I not again. That's the connection. Yeah, that's the connection. I mean, what? Yeah, uh, Sandra Bullock is obviously in it also. Okay, next up is sudden death. Die hard oh, in a hockey arena. One hundred percent. Yeah, totally. I and I, I'm going to tell that's you like right. a classic die hard scenario. Yes, right it there. is. And I have a very soft spot for sudden death. I'm just going to tell you that right now. I also have a soft spot for sudden death. That might be very high on the ranking when think we're done. It's going to be okay. We already ruled out die hard with a vengeance, right? We're saying no, it's not C- correct. That okay. is out. I don't know why I'm writing it then. Okay, under siege two, dark territory. Die hard on a battleship, except this time on a train. <laughs> I think it. I don't remember that movie very well. I don't either. I remember enjoying it for what it is. <laughs> it's, I, I mean, it's, I have to. I have to imagine because it's the train, and I'm just a cook. I, I got to assume yes, it qualifies. I'm, it's I'm, the same thing. I'm pretty sure Casey Ryback is just traveling on a train and it gets taken over by terrorists. Okay, another damn Seagal movie. How, how could the same thing happen to the same guy twice? I'm just gonna write under siege two. I'm not gonna write dark territory. <laughs> okay, next up is one that I think we're gonna have to talk about: The Rock. Oh. 
They are sent in. They are not. They, uh, they are not part of that tour group. I, I, what kind of effed up tour is this? They're I, not one of those guys. Hi, Ranger Bob. <laughs> uh, um, no, I think if Speed does not qualify, I, I think Speed is closer to qualifying than The Rock because they. I mean, literally, it's a SEAL team that gets sent in. Right. And yes, the SEAL team doesn't survive, but the two two other experts, the tunnel expert and the the gas expert. Are the heroes? They were sent in. I don't think it qualifies. It's The Rock. I think of as like a Men in a Mission movie. Yes. It has more in common with like the Dirty Dozen than it does with Die Hard. I, I mean, it, in a lot of ways, it's a pri- it's like a prison movie, right? right? Yeah. So yeah, I as much as I love The Rock and would love to rank it on this, I don't think it can qualify. Okay, we'll leave it off the list. Next up is another sort of Stigall movie, Executive Decision. It's actually a Kurt Russell movie. Yeah. <laughs> You're not gonna make it. You are. <laughs> That's what I, you know. I remember that because I was on the trailer <laughs> That's over and over and over again. Speaking of bad dummies falling to their death, Seagal's um, spoilers, whatever. Um, Seagal when he dies, the yes. little the little flop. The, the, yes, it, it, it's so undignified that it made me think that the, act, the special effects people didn't like Seagal, and it's like make him <laughs> let's make him look stupid. Anyway, it seems like it would fit Seagal's profile. Yes. Of people not liking. Yeah, it. Yeah, right? I mean, I'm speculating, but it would fit. Uh, I th- my again, it's been a while on that one. I think that one qualifies. Well, they do. They do infiltrate because that's how they remember. They take the stealth bomber and they hook up to the plane to get the team on to save the oh, plane. Oh yeah, that's because right. that's how Seagal dies. He's supposed to lead that team, and then you are, and he dies. Ah, so they right. do have to infiltrate under that. They plane. infiltrate and it is from the stealth. So then, yes. No, I'm going to change. And my thought is, is no. Okay. Well, I forgot how Kurt Russell was on there, and I know I just said the damn scene where it happens. <laughs> right. I honestly, the only forgot. memorable scene. It is. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, but 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 I think the one point in its favor that might make it qualify is Kurt Russell is a reluctant hero because Steven Seagal is supposed to be the it's one like who's is. supposed to be leading the team and saving the day, and now he's dead, and now I, I guess i got to do it's it. It's true, but what I would argue, the counterpoint is Stanley Goodspeed is, right. is one of the heroes and not a yeah, completely very, a reluctant hero, but... Very similar, yeah. Yeah, and, and the SEAL team is supposed to be he was leading the mission, but Captain John Patrick Mason ultimately is. Yeah. So I think if The Rock doesn't qualify, which I don't think it does, I don't think executive decision qualifies. Okay, we'll leave it off. I was kind of borderline on that one, but I, I, I tend to agree. This next one I saw on a list of diehard knockoffs, and I went like, what? And then I thought, well, let's talk about it. <laughs> Star Trek First Contact. What? Which is, is set on the Enterprise being taken over by bad guys. It's the Borg. It was on a list of diehard knockoffs, and I went like, I, it's worth talking about, I guess. It's really a stretch, but it, it, they are reluctantly defending the Enterprise against invaders, bad guys. They are, but that's an entire crew. I mean, they're right. I, yeah, I, I think that that's. I, I think the that they already are on it, and something is taken. You know, it's taken over. Yes, but I, I was already leaning to like Die Hard is. It's really John McClane. I know that there are some, but it's John McClane. You're talking about an entire credo. The the entire crew of the Enterprise? No, I, I don't think that can qualify. Right. That's just it's, well. At the that's end of the day, it does come down to a fist fight between <laughs> Picard and Borg Queen. Of course it does. Um, but. Anyway, okay, we'll leave it off. Okay, Air Force One. Oh yeah, that's got to qualify. Yeah, I agree. This qualifies. The most reluctant hero, the President of the United <laughs> States. Um, and then last is Con Air. Ooh. Does that qualify? Does Cage get on this? So let's think about this. So they're on the transport, you know, they're on the plane. Uh, there's guards. I I hate to say it's certainly a confined space. Yep. 
you know, they do land the plane, you know, to do whatever, but I, most of that movie, yeah, I mean, there. There's my, a, my memory is that he has an opportunity to get off the plane and he chooses not to because he needs to save the day. He needs to protect Bubba. Yeah, yeah. To, for the ironically, the insulin is actually it's true. Yes, I, he need, he actually did need insulin. Did. They, they needed to crash the plane actually in the Rocky Mountains, and the rescue squad would have brought it. That's why he didn't get the insulin is because they sent it to to, uh, to to you know this we, Eric Quaylen was yeah, getting the insulin Quaylen that he got, actually needed. Yeah, Quaylen got that guy's insulin. Uh, I think. I'm reluctant because Con Air does not feel like a diehard because I think there's so many, so many villains and you know a hero mixed in with them. But based on our criteria, I would I'd lean towards Con Air counting. I also lean towards Con Air counting. Also, right. it's worth pointing out adding Con Air to this list will make it an even ten. All that's right, the perfect. End of this list. Perfect. Okay, we're including Con Air. So our list is Die Hard Two. These are '90s Die Hard knockoffs. Die Hard Two, Toy Soldiers. Under Siege, Passenger 57, Cliffhanger, Speed 2, Sudden Death, <laughs> Under Siege 2, Air Force 1, Con Air. My God. Quickly. Let's spend a ton of time. But <laughs> of this list, I think Sudden Death might be my number one. Or should we start at the bottom? Uh, let's, let's, start yep, at the bottom. let's start at the bottom. It's got to be between... Under Siege 2, okay. <laughs> he, he's I'm, frantically... I'm, I'm, I'm weighing the judges here. Okay. We're going to say it's Speed 2 Cruise Control. That's the correct answer. Okay. Uh, <laughs> next up, I got to say it's got to be Under Siege 2, right? I, I think that good. movie is better than you might think. Really? I mean, there's a lot of pretty good movies here. Okay. I'm, I, Toy Soldiers, neither of us have seen in a long time. It's pro- I remember liking it. This is you know, this list is pretty good actually. Yeah, I was gonna I'll, say this I'll, list actually isn't terrible. Yeah, I'll I'll put Under Siege two at nine. I remember it being like kind of fun, bad, just silly. <laughs> there is a there is a scene. Let me see if this will change your mind. There is a scene where the, it's near the end where the train is going off of a cliff, like the tracks have been destroyed, and the train is literally falling off of a cliff. All right. And Casey Ryback outruns the speed of the train. The train is going sixty miles an hour. He runs fast enough that he is able to keep pace and he runs and jumps out of the train before it can <laughs> fall off of the cliff that is pretty amazing casey ryback can run faster than a train the he's, logic of it because i don't think they thought you'd real think about like oh he's inside the train but in order to, to keep away from the cliff he would have to run as fast as the train is moving he's superman yes well of course he is he's steven seagal that that's pretty good but i mean so i mean honestly i don't toy soldiers is probably next mostly because i don't remember it yeah and, but kind of, so it's like, would I move under siege up above those? Maybe. So I'll leave it to you because you, I think you have the softer spot for under siege too. I mean, my, I, I, I remember more about under siege too than toy soldiers, but a, I've probably seen it more times and B, everything I remember is bad. So I'll, we'll, we'll put it at nine. All right. And then toy so soldiers then, at eight. Yeah, I think that's fair. And it's mostly just cause I don't remember, yeah, I don't same. remember it. It might actually be a, a much better movie. Uh, you haven't seen uh passenger 57. I have not. I'll I, defer for, to you. For me, I, I like it more actually than Con Air, so I would probably put Con Air. Uh, what are your thoughts on Die Hard Two? Because you know, I actually have kind of a soft spot. I like a lot of things about Die Hard Two, but I know a lot of people don't like Die Hard. 2. Yeah, I don't love it, but I don't hate it either. I mean, it's it's it does feel just like a subpar copy of Die Hard, but that's in that's a lot fine. of ways. So, would you put it above or below Con Air? I would put it above Con Air. Okay. I would, I would be okay with doing Con Air 7 and Passenger 57-6 yeah, if, well, if you think that's... Because I, I, I like Con Air, but 
Do, it's you, not hanging in this list. Well, do you think Cliffhanger is better than those as well? Yes. Okay. All right. Then I agree with I agree with seven and six. Connor seven. Passenger fifty seven six. Six. Okay. Yep. All would right. you put Cliffhanger above Die Hard two? I don't think I would. No. I don't even love Die Hard two, but yeah, no. I, I don't think Cliffhanger is as good as Die Hard two. So I wouldn't. No. Is Cliffhanger our five? Yep. I think so. Better than Air Force One or worse than Air Force One? I think oh, yeah. probably so. Okay. Air Force One's a better movie. Yeah. Okay. I get Gary Oldman enough. It. it, it if you got yeah, a, if you got a better villain right right then and there, it's going to put it above it for me. So yeah, that's true. Okay, so cliffhangers so are five. Yeah, now it's getting a little tougher. I think I'd put Die Hard two number four. I hate to put a Seagal movie higher, but yeah, you're probably <laughs> Under right. Siege is a good movie. I mean, uh, it is. To your point, this villain Tom, Tommy, Tommy Lee Jones, Jones is awesome. He's awesome in that movie. I also um, I, I like. By the way, though, speaking Willem Dafoe, I like Willem Dafoe. By the way, in Die Hard two, I think he's given a. Oh no, it's William Sadler. William I think Sadler, it's William yeah. Sadler. I, I say what? I like William Sadler in Die Hard two. I do too. Uh, but I, I, I'm going to agree with you. Under Siege is better than Die Hard two. Okay. So, I, I. You know what? I would put Under Siege above Air Force One. I would put Air Force One number three here and Under Siege number two. I agree with that, and I, I have to tell you, Sudden Death is probably my favorite. Sudden Death we are is a, No, we're, we're unanimous. Sudden Death sudden is the best Die Hard knockoff. So much fun. He gets put in the game and saves the, the Stanley Cup Finals, Game 7. He gets put in the goalie. It's amazing. <laughs> that, that movie is so much fun. I haven't seen it in a while. I, I, I rewatched it, I don't know, four years ago, five years Did ago, I and ever, I went like, this movie is great. You know, I, yeah, I know exactly what you're Did I ever get you to watch the... Yes. Oh God! He the, retells the story. The, uh, yeah, uh, the community, uh, right? Uh, not community. Parks and Recreation. Oh, Parks and Rec. Yeah. The telling it by song, but the intercutting because somebody—it's off YouTube and it, it, I hope it gets back up. Somebody actually took the scenes yeah. he's singing about, and it makes it so much more. <laughs> you amazing. did. Yeah, you Sudden death on Jean Claude Van Damme, and he tells us it's an amazing song. But when he tells it, it's like God, this movie is so incredibly stupid, but it yeah. is so much. Fun and an- another great villain in Powers Booth. Powers Booth is oh, great. Oh, you want to talk about chewing it up? Mm-hmm. Powers Booth just destroys every scene he's in, knocks yeah. it out of the park. Yeah, I think, and I think, you know, this is this is ostensibly an action movie podcast, and Jean Claude Van Damme does not get much love on this podcast, no. and unfairly because yeah, he's he's great in Sudden Death. I mean, great being relative. He's still Jean Claude Van Damme. He's not, I, he's not I, a Shakespearean actor, no, but but whatever. And yeah, I enjoy actually Universal Soldier. There's a few of his movies, but Sudden Death is easily his number one with me, and it's not I, even close. I agree. I I almost would say <laughs> it's the goalie in Game Seven. <laughs> Let me okay. Here's the ultimate question. I know the answer to this, but how close to Die Hard? If Die Hard is the gold standard of this genre, how close is Sudden Death? Because I think it's pretty close. Okay, so it's here, obviously a lot sillier. So that's what I was going to say. Is that so? For me, in terms of like, if you're asking entertainment and enjoyment, they're right there. But they're pretty close. They're pretty close. But what I'll say is that I I like view Die Hard. I don't put the disclaimer because there's some movies I say. It's it's a great action movie, and I think we've talked about this. Where, you know, for an action movie, where, where to me, I don't put the disclaimer on Die Hard and actually Terminator Two. I think those are two truly like great movies. Yeah, that happen to be in the action genre. So I can't say that with Sudden Death, but Sudden Death, what it has is it has a level of absurdity and comedy that is not in Die Hard. So they're kind of one A and one B, meaning. They're almost mirror images of each other yeah. that I enjoy them, but in for different reasons. And it, t- so- it totally is the flip side of the coin. Yes. It's like the, the goofy version of Die yeah, Hard. Yeah. That's what it is. It, it's the absurd version of Die Hard, and I love every minute of it. Yeah. 
But I wouldn't ever say like it's a great movie. Where I will argue, Die Hard is actually a very good movie outside of just being an action movie. But the one thing I remember from the last time I watched uh, uh, Sudden Death is because John Claude Van Damme he's surprised his son. That he's going to taking him to Game Seven of the Stanley Cup Finals. It was the Penguins and the Blackhawks, I think, yep. uh, as I recall. Yep. And so <laughs> they're watching the game. And he's like, "Okay, I'm, I'm going to go get, get us some food or whatever." And then he gets caught up in this in this uh, adventure. He's got to save the day, and his kid is just sitting. He's just looking around, like, "When is Dad coming back?" It's per- second period, and <laughs> Dad's still not back. He keeps looking around <laughs> for like two thirds of the movie. Abandonment. I think eventually that kid ends up in peril, but for like yeah, two of thirds of the movie, that kid is just sitting there going, "Like Dad just left. He went for cigarettes and never came back." I envision the guy who hails the cab at the start of Airplane. Yes, exactly. I'm giving him another ten minutes. And that's it. That was very much the vibe. Yeah, it's so funny. Anyway, All right, well, so that was a great Silk Cozart. Let's corner. go. Let's go over our rankings real okay. quick, just to summarize. So at number ten, there's '90s Die Hard knockoffs. Number ten is Speed, Speed Two Cruise Control. Number nine is Under Siege 2 Dark Territory. All the subtitles going at the bottom. Of course. Uh, Number eight is Toy Soldiers. Number seven is Con Air. Number six is Passenger 57. Number five is Cliffhanger right in the center. Just right right where it belongs. Number four is Die Hard 2. Number three, Air Force One. Number two is Under Siege. And the number one (laughs) Die Hard knockoff of the 90s, Sudden Death. Congratulations, Sudden Death. All right. Awesome. All right. Let's move on to the body count. Let's do it. I gotta flip to the other computer just to play the sound and then flip right back. This movie really <laughs> could Just do it myself again. Uh, Wait, I'm, I'm for- just, now I'm forgetting all my inputs. Man, I, this is really. I just listened to the episode where you didn't have the soundboard. You had to do the sounds from memory. Hey, I, I had to draw that guy from memory. <laughs> okay. I really gotta fix my setup here. It's really getting unwieldy. This movie we only killed forty-eight people compared to the last one where we killed one hundred and nineteen. My problem is that I have. <laughs> we use one computer to record our voices. We use another computer to record the sound effects. And the problem is that I keep some files on one computer and some files on the other. So the body count is on a thing that I gotta switch. I gotta switch back and forth every time. Uh, so this is the segment of the show where we discuss what we're here for, which is the body count. Yes, so I had a body count of four first alone. Oh, yeah. Total of 17. uh, We're comparing to Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arnold had an average body count of 14.39. Total body count, 547. Yes, I do line up. There was a lot more in the movie, but most of them actually were were non-Stallone. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of how I predicted, where he's the good guy, he's not going to be... I predicted a lot of kicking off of cliffs. I don't think we really got that. <laughs> we didn't. I think, I think Muckle Rooker's the only one who throws anyone off a cliff. Oh, he gets the footballer for sure. Oh, he, he shotguns him off the cliff in a way that the momentum makes no sense. Shoots him with a shotgun, which propels him backwards. Yes. Yeah, we didn't talk about that scene enough, how terrible that scene is. It's really the, All bad. the football metaphors, and he's just it's trying really- to... You don't need an excuse to kick a guy, you know? <laughs> just just really, kick him. It's really bad. Oh, I was a great foil, you know, whatever, um, lineman, whatever, I don't know, I don't know, soccer position. It was really bad. Um, anyway, so yeah, so total of four for Stallone in this movie, it gives him a, a, a total body count across 45 movies of 495, exactly 11 average. So still way below 14.39 for, for Arnold, but... Arnold's totals. To Arnold totals five forty seven. So four four hundred ninety five. We're only fifty two behind. With and still a Rambo to go. Yeah, still a Rambo to go. I think we have uh, eleven movies left. He's gonna so, he's gonna catch him. I think so, but um, I think it'll be closer than than we expected. Yeah, I think he'll, he might. I think he'll probably end up eking it out by ten or twenty. 
But I don't know. It's not going to be a landslide victory? I don't think it will be. Uh, so anyway, moving on. Now i got to switch back to the other computer. Moving i got on. all kinds of puns in this episode with a, ending here with a landslide victory. <laughs> I didn't even notice it. Well done. <laughs> I Boy, I went right over my head. I, I, was, I was so busy you know, running the podcast that uh, I missed <laughs> Doing your the work. I, yeah. Okay. Let's move on to the Wrecking Crew Award. Yes. Outstanding achievement here. All right, the Wrecking Crew Award, the segment of the show where we hand out our award for the character, inanimate object, or abstract idea that wrecked the most shop in the movie. I think I've wrecked this segment by bringing too many abstract ideas. (laughs) Maybe we should give you the Wrecking Crew (laughs) Award? I've wrecked the Wrecking Uh, Crew Award. All right, so would you like to go first? Would you like me to hand out my award first? I'm kind of torn between two abstract ideas. I'm either giving it to poor government contractors... Or I'm giving it to gravity. I think I'm going right. to give it to gravity. So mine, I gave it to the mountain and gravity because <laughs> okay. there are far more kills with gravity than there are. I, yeah. I so badly, I was expecting, gi- I said, you know, giant spike shoes. We got bolt guns. I'm expecting all these things. Yeah. The mountain did far more than anything else in this movie. So. But it's not as if the movie was trying to make a point of just like nature is more dangerous oh, no, than any villain. Not at all. <laughs> no. I, I think it's that, you know, for whatever, maybe Stallone didn't want to be, you know, Schwarzenegger and didn't want to have the high body count. Yeah, I think that's part of it. He was, he was, this, he was starting to change, try to change his image. Yeah. Um, I mean, Demolition Man notwithstanding. But even Demolition Man, I don't know, he's not killing, no, aside I mean, from kicking Wesley Snipes' head off, he's not really killing a lot of people. <laughs> no, I mean, it's Wesley Snipes that actually is really doing most of it. Right. That, so, yeah, I think he was trying to become a little more gentle yeah. uh you know trying to change a softer things. storm yeah so all right you ready for the rocky rating yes i am let's do it hey hey what the hell are you doing you're punching car accident victims no, no, no you don't understand he was bad mouthing my film all right the rocky rating the segment of the show where we rank the movie based on rocky opponents from apollo creed to spider rico yeah i was kind of on the fence here and i just i decided i'd let our conversation dictate what uh my rating is okay. and i've decided that i was on the fence between a mason dixon and a clubber lang and I, this, this is a clubber lang it's it's a it's a fun enough movie wow okay all right so it's funny i was on the fence and our conversation has convinced me as well. I started out right on the border of an Apollo Creed because I had a wow. lot of fun with this movie. Um, somewhat I feel guilty. I think you called me out a few episodes ago that I'm too stingy with my Apollo Creeds. <laughs> I didn't say you were too stingy. You can rate however you like. No, I'm no. not trying to dictate how no, you, no, my, you did. My, my, it wasn't that I, I wasn't criticizing you for being stingy. I was saying... I was just observing that the reason why you're stingy is because you have such a high I opinion of Apollo, Apollo which I do. It's a higher standard than than my, you know, because it, to meet that standard is very difficult. It's probably me. true. But as the conversation went, it was a close Apollo. I'm moving it down to a clubber lang, and here's why, is that an action movie, I've said this, and I stand by it. Oh, you're, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, you know what, you know what I'm going to say. I need to find a way to. I need to find a way to run this soundboard so you can't see me eyeing it. Because as soon as you saw me eyeing it, <laughs> I knew Kenny Loggins was coming. And I am going to agree with you because you know what? For me, the standard is you got to have a great villain. And Eric Quaylen, I think you're right. We we may need to do like in an episode, like a bonus episode. We maybe should like put together a list of incompetent, awful villains. Yeah. Because that I think does have to move me down. And and. 
it's it's a little bit Lithgow. It's mostly the character. I can't give an Apollo Creed to an action movie that has one of the worst villains of all time. Especially you, because you always talk about how important, it's so important. It's important to you. The, the gold standard is Hans Gruber. There's a reason why it's the die art here is because Hans Gruber is the gold standard. Yeah. The glint in his eye, Alan Rickman. It, it, to be honest, I'm not sure it could ever be replicated in a better way. There's ones that have been Charles Dance comes very close as Benedict. But Alan Rickman set the gold standard. You know what's funny is Alan Rickman, uh, an Englishman, does a fake American accent. <laughs> Why didn't he get Alan Rickman? <laughs> well, but he he does a fake American accent oh. in Die Hard, and and John Boy. Lithgow, an actual American. Yes. They could have done that with him, and he could have just spoken in his own voice. But uh, <laughs> no. John Lithgow that, copying copying Alan Rickman, but doesn't get to do his own accent. I, and we've, now that we're talking about it, I, it, how absurd is it? Think about like around this period of time. Now I can see Alan Rickman not doing it or them not wanting to write the association with Dyer. Fine. Whatever. Oh yeah, he wouldn't want to do this. A similar I, but, but, role. Uh, right? You've got, uh, but you you've got him as the example, right, of an actual English person, right. You get Charles Dance doing Last Action Hero the same year. You have the you have the template. Right. Go get a Shakespearean trained, really good actor from yeah. the United Kingdom to just be your villain. There's no shortage of talented English <laughs> yes. actors. It's been established there is a wealth of talent that you could get some great that don't yeah. have to do a terrible fake British accent. I mean, maybe it's just that the part they you know, they tried and the part wasn't good enough for a lot could of them be. because to be fair like we were talking about Quayland is a Quaylen's, terrible villain he's, he's awful I mean, Benedict is an awesome villain yeah Benedict at least has a plan even if it's like kind of crazy he's gonna he's gonna go find Dracula and, and Freddy Krueger yeah he has a plan to gather all the, the villains I mean it never comes to fruition but at least he's got a plan this plan I mean I guess at the end of the day uh, Benedict's plan is dependent on a ticket that he doesn't fully have control over. So maybe that's not a great plan either, to be honest with you. No, but, but his plan within the Jack Slater movie works pretty well, too, because he, he takes over the operation, right, and gets rid of Vivaldi. I don't know how much that matters, though. The plot of Jack Slater 5 or 4? Four, 4. Jack Slater 4. four is yeah. Him, yeah. I don't know how much the plot of Jack Slater 4, where he's going to take over the, 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 the It doesn't. Game. I'm just saying that he's a competent villain. Eric Quaylen at oh, no yeah. po- point in time shows any level of competence. At the very least, Benedict has a skill. He's a sharpshooter, and he can yes. shoot, shoot a playing card. He can card. take you out as easy <laughs> as a cake. What is Quaylen's skill? What is his special skill that makes him so scary? That's the thing. is A, a, a hero is only as as good as the villain they're taking down it, it needs to feel like wow like, you know john mcclain is just like wow what an ordeal he went through to take to, to take think, down this incredible mastermind john McClane, honestly i know the episode's long but think about john mcclain for a minute think about the end of that movie think about where hans is he literally you've got his feet are all bloody there's like nothing he barely has any clothes on he's been through hell because his opponent was so ruthless and impossible it was and the a- crew that he's put together right because mm-hmm. yeah. hans gruber that that's the other great thing is that you know both of them aren't you know big you know buff guys necessarily but hans gruber he he's a he's an intellectual right he's an intellectual criminal right he, but he's put together a great crew that put that put mclean through hell he, he read about crimson dawn in time magazine he's an intellectual <laughs> No, <laughs> no, I, uh, yeah, totally. It, 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 just think about, er, just the, like you said, the state of 
of Bruce Willis at the end of that movie of just bloodied and beaten and almost like half dead. He's got no ammo left. He's just got like his pistol taped to his back and what, he's outnumbered. What an ordeal he's been through. And think about Gabe Walker at the end of this movie. We're just like he's just chucking bags of money up into right. a helicopter. Yeah. Hey, uh, treasury guys, come get us. It's the 4,000 feet south. I'm cr- cracking jokes. Keep your hands and <laughs> feet inside the vehicle. He's cracking wise. Yeah. It feels like he has been through nothing. It feels like just another day. It feels like he was just climbing a mountain. It's not even not even the most traumatic thing that happens to him in this movie. He drops a woman and lets her die, and that's way more traumatic. That's, he's going to remember that. You know, that's, that was the worst day of his life, not this. This was the best day of his life. <laughs> right. Yeah, he got having a cool adventure, and yes, Frank died, but who cares about Frank? They don't. By the end, no Nobody one cares. Cares about poor Frank. Yeah, you and I are the only ones that apparently care about Frank. I mean, barely. We barely talked about him. He's in this movie more than we we. I, him up. Look, I look. No, there's I, nothing to talk about. I asked a very legitimate question about Frank, but his paintings oh, sure. are worth more now that he's dead. Let's look online and see if there's a recreation. All right. Well, I I um. I'm glad this was my pick. I'm glad I, I'm, I'm sorry that I burned it. I know we were trying to save it, but I've just felt like the episodes and the movies that we had, I felt like we needed this and I think it accomplished my goal. Yes, I agree. We needed it and it, it definitely accomplished our goal. We're, we're rejuvenated to whatever, whatever degree. Yes. Yeah. It, um, you know, so um, which, which where leaves. is this energy? Where is it taking us? We've <laughs> thank, got momentum. Thank, thank you, Cliffhanger, for rejuvenating us, rejuvenating us. Now for what's left. <laughs> and that's when the Judds came <laughs> after me. So yeah, I I basically can pick whatever is last, but in terms of what's out there, I just kind of thought, all right, I tend to go for contrast, and I, I don't want to necessarily do something that's gonna be like not action packed. Like I, I want to keep the momentum going. So I'm hoping, or not hoping. I've seen this movie. I, I watched this movie to do due diligence when we started doing the Stallone run because I wanted to see if Stallone had a big enough part. And I remember vaguely liking it, although I wasn't paying that much attention because I was just watching it to, to kind of I was just looking at the clock, saying, "Okay, how long is Stallone on the screen?" This is the last movie in our pre-Rocky category. Oh man, I it is it. 1975's Capone. Capone. Okay. So hopefully this will still be some action. I mean, I hope. I, I remember it's a 70s movie and it's pretty low budget. Yeah, I remembered some things. I I I watched it, but I wasn't paying close All attention. Right. So. I have never seen it, so it's going to be an adventure for me. Yeah, starring Ben Gazzara, who is also Jackie Treehorn. Ben Gazzara oh. as Al Capone. Jackie Treehorn. Yes. Nice. So. Yeah. All right, I'm looking forward to it. I will not reveal who Stallone plays. I do remember that. Okay, but prominent enough. All right. Well, that's uh, that's the show. Uh, hopefully, you've enjoyed this. I know I I certainly have enjoyed recording this one. And if you like the show, please like us on your podcast app of choice. Uh, and we'd love to hear from you at uh, on Twitter at Arms Race Podcast with any thoughts or comments that you might have had about this or any of our other episodes. Yes, and please uh, thought. Thaw out your frozen uh, radio and tell your friends and family on it (laughs) that um, they might like this show. We'll be back with Capone. Capone.